welcome to the Animation Happy Hour. A podcast where we talk about breaking into the animation industry over a couple of drinks. All opinions and views expressed in this podcast are solely our own and are not representative of the companies for whom we work. My name is Garrett. I'm Ben. And I'm Katie. And we are all currently feature film animators at Disney. So today we are drinking... Actually, quite a variety of drinks, right? That's so right. <laughs> ben and I are drinking Dark and Stories. Yes, I love that one. Oh, which, thank you so, so much. Once again, we put out the call for yes. you know, drink names, and you guys did not disappoint. So first to Demi Chen. Thank you so much. Demi.draw. She came up with Dark and Story as, as well with, as... Oh, yes, my gosh. at least one so other. Great minds think alike. I think it was were, Animate Illustrate. Yes, you're right. On Instagram. <laughs> yep. Animate Illustrate nice. had uh, oh, that one yes. and another between the story beats instead of between the sheets. <laughs> is that is a cocktail? <laughs> between I, the sheets? I was wondering. I don't, it's I just mean, a phrase. It's <laughs> <that's> real <laughs> suggestive. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's amazing. Uh, but yeah, there were great ones. We also have, uh, I believe, a couple of our listeners are enjoying some story Bordeaux. Or a couple of our oh. guests. Our guests. <laughs> well, they're listening right now. Maybe right? our listeners, too. <laughs> That's right. Story Bordeaux yeah. wine. That's by uh, Ryan Rosendale. And I think a couple other people said that, too. So unprofessional, not to and, know their names off the top of my head. But, but thank, thank you, you so much. Whoever you were. To all those that, yes. yeah. And establishment this, shots. That's right. Establishing yes. shot. Right? Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> what did I say? Establishment. Garrett's already had a couple shot. establishing shots. So <laughs> perfect. You're just going to say. Yeah. <laughs> I did. That was such a good, good one, though. That, that's great. All these yes. are so clever. Yeah, thank you Very to David Stadoni for that one, our former guest. Oh, man. Yes. Shout out to yeah. David. So today we are super excited to continue our pipeline series with a day in the life of a story artist. So we're talking all things story, like what skills do you need to get hired, what your day-to-day is like, what are the different levels within the story department, and also how it differs between feature and TV. This has been a very like hot topic. We've gotten a lot of um, listener engagement about this one because so many people are interested in storyboarding, and we really are excited about this episode, and we have... Very, very exciting guests, which I think Katie's going to talk about. Or Ben. But first, I'm going to hop in here before we get to Katie. Okay. We're just going to bury that lead a little more for you. But that's right, Garrett. And before we get to meet our wonderful guests, which Katie will handle, we wanted to give a quick disclaimer that although this talk will be fairly specific to how things work at Disney feature and TV animation, the responsibilities and skill sets of story artists are fairly consistent across all the major feature film and TV animation studios. So we hope that this will be universally helpful for all of you listeners out there who are interested in story. So without any further ado, I would like to introduce our two very special guests for today. A big animation happy hour welcome to Isabel Giedek and Natalie Nurgat. Hi, so we, thanks for having us. Yes, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> um, yes, we thought it would be especially helpful for our listeners to learn about both TV and feature storyboarding. So we have invited Isabel to chat about her experience with TV and Natalie to share her experience with feature. And we would love to begin with brief introductions for you both and help our listeners get to know you. Uh, so we can start with just, you know, the very basic questions. How did you get into story for animation and what sorts of of projects have you worked on so far? Um, basically, yeah, your background and resume. So we can begin with Isabel. 
Yeah. So, hi. I'm so excited to be here and talk about story. Thanks for having me. Um, so, my background into story isn't that straightforward. I went to New York University. Uh, originally, you? I <laughs> yeah, well, sorry, that's actually it's actually where I met Garrett. But uh, yeah. oh, I wow. didn't start in the film school, which is where you can study animation. I uh, I went to the arts and sciences school, and I very much had no idea what I wanted to do with my life or what I wanted to major in or study. Um, but I kind of always loved to draw growing up. That was just something that I always liked to do for fun. So as an elective, I decided to take an animation class that because that just sounded like a lot of fun. And it totally changed my life. It uh, changed the course of what I really wanted to do. So I ended up transferring over to the film school to study animation. I think it was in my junior year. So I spent kind of just the last two years studying animation at NYU. Um, and that's kind of how I got into animation. Um, and then after that, I uh, I lived in New York for about a year, and I worked at Titmouse as an animation cleanup artist. Um, but that whole time, I knew kind of that I really wanted to uh, get into storyboarding. So I worked on my portfolio while I was working that job. And after about a year, I realized that a lot of the jobs that I was interested in, um, a lot of the storyboarding jobs I was interested in were in L.A. So mm -hmm. that was uh, I, I was seeing Garrett at the time. I'm pretty and sure you were the one who, like, convinced me to go to L.A. Like, yes. I was not I think, initially going to come the, here. I think the way it went was you asked me to move in with you and I was like, yes. <laughs> but in LA. <laughs> so, so I kind of just like up the ante with you. Nice. Um, nice and it worked out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and luckily you agreed and we... I did. I did agree. We did a cross-country road trip together to Aww. break into animation in LA. And ever since then, I think I started out as a, as a character designer. Uh, that was kind of the first job I got in animation. And then after that, a couple of months in, I got my first storyboarding job uh, in TV animation and have been in TV animation ever since. So, yeah, awesome. that's my story. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. And Natalie, well, now your hi. background resume. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, so I, I, I was one of those kids that always loved to draw and I wanted to be a professional artist but didn't really know what that looked like. Um, and you know, my parents were like, are you sure? Cause I, we've read about, you know, <laughs> uh, what happens to artists and I, I don't know if that's a real <laughs> job. Uh, so when it came time to choose a college, I, I wanted to go to art school, but I didn't know if there was going to be a job on the other side of it. And I was scared to go into debt. So I went to a state school. Uh, I'm from Oregon and the University of Oregon's a great, uh, uh, like liberal arts college. Mm -hmm. I studied Japanese because I love languages and I wanted to Ooh. travel. And I studied business because I wanted a job when I graduated, but I <laughs> did not like that at all. Um, although that info has, um, continued to be really helpful. Uh, so I graduated with a, a double major in business and Japanese. 
But right before I graduated, I had my first offer to draw a graphic novel. And that gave me the confidence Whoa. to jump into a freelance art career right after school. Wow. So I moved back to, to Portland, where my family's from. And uh, I started working on this graphic novel. I did commissions of people's pets. I did like <laughs> draw my kid as the flash. You got it, buddy. And uh, <laughs> made ends meet for a few years. I started working at a studio that I had interned at Helioscope Studio, which is for comic book artists. And they taught me how to be a freelance artist and how to do freelancer taxes and all, all this stuff, how to interact with clients and because of them, I got to see all of these other professional artists running their different businesses. And a few of them were making really good money storyboarding for advertising agencies in Portland. And I was mm. like, Oh, how, how can I get in on that? And they were like, we'll teach you. So they let me like maybe color some of the work that they were doing. And then eventually they let me come to the client meetings and maybe take like half of the project. And eventually when they were too busy, they'd be like, I can't. But my buddy Natalie can do it. So I built my my mm -hmm. commercial storyboarding portfolio that way. And that gave me a lot more financial freedom <laughs> to start looking around <laughs> at what else I wanted to do. So um I, I'm sorry, I feel like this is long. I've got a long story because oh, no I didn't worries. No, no. I didn't break in until please. I was twenty-eight and I wandered quite oh, a bit. This is so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's very similar to my own story. <laughs> nice. So no worries at all. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't regret wandering. Like I, I like coming into the studio system and having all of these past experiences and these other weird mm -hmm. jobs that I had. My first job out of college was actually working at the Oregon Zoo as a camp counselor. Oh, <laughs> oh, wow. oh cool. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so where was I? Okay. I'm commercial storyboarding and um, I'm really interested in working in animation, but I don't actually know anybody who works in animation. I don't, I don't know how to do that. I didn't go to school for that. So I kind of feel like, well, that's, that's probably never going to happen, you know? Um, but then people that I knew who also didn't have animation degrees from the Portland comic scene, they started moving down to LA and working on Adventure Time and Nickelodeon shows. And, and there just seemed to be this door opening, like there was more work and people were open to the idea of a comics background leading to story. Mm. So that was like, I saw people doing that and I got to ask them, you know, how did you do this? What should I do? They gave me tips and it took a long time. I was like taking online classes and trying to read about storyboarding and taking tests mm. for about a year and finally uh, got into the Disney story apprenticeship in 2015 and have been there ever mm -hmm. since. Wow. That's so wow. cool that you I came in. That. I like that you came in through kind of graphic novels and commercial, the commercial side and came in through that way. It's neat. I think that was how we met too. We were both at Disney orientation the, the very first day. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were wow. like, so I remember uh, that. twinsies. They do the big yeah. orientation for like everyone in the company that's starting. So you mm -hmm. could be TV feature, um, like finance, anything. And that's so fun. We started yeah. at the same time. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> Could you two possibly go a l over a little bit of your kind of some of the things you've worked on, like some of the sh different shows you've been on up until now? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I can go first, I guess. But uh, uh, so uh, the very first uh, TV storyboarding job I got was actually at this small um, 
stop motion animation studio uh, in LA called Bix Pix Entertainment. Oh, I know. Oh, wow. And I, yeah, and uh, it was honestly that was kind of I don't I'm I'm really happy I worked there. It was one of my uh favorite jobs and it was just such a great job to kind of get like introduced into the world of storyboarding because everything was in-house. Um, so I got to see uh, the work that I did several weeks or months down the line being created uh, in the puppet fabrication department mm-hmm. and then in the set designs and then eventually animation, which was super fun and magical. So I really liked, uh, I really had a great time working there. Um, and then right after that uh, was my very first job at Disney TV Animation, which is where I've been ever since. And mm-hmm. uh, I started on The Lion Guard, which is a uh, oh. spinoff series of mm-hmm. The Lion King, which was a huge dream come true. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, that was, I mean, it's everybody's favorite Disney movie growing up, <laughs> I feel like. It's, it's so good. But um, yeah, it's, it, and it's, and I think it really worked with me because I really love drawing animals. I really love drawing creatures much more than I like drawing humans. So it was kind of just this great, like, um, way to get uh, introduced into the company with something that meant a lot to me. Um, and I think, and this might reveal my age too much, but I think a, it's a, it's apparently the very first movie that my parents ever took me to as as a kid in in movie theater in the movie theater. So, um, so it felt very much like a circle of life to make a oh, cheesy yeah. joke. Oh. <laughs> Dang. Um, but yeah, and then after that, I was on for for a tiny brief amount of time I was on uh the Tangled the series or it's it's called Rapunzel's Tangled Adventure. Oh, yeah. And uh and then I was on the Monsters at Work show, which is Ooh. a Monsters Inc. spin-off series. Can't wait for that. Yeah, that that's so coming cool. out in July. Hey. <laughs> um and <laughs> and then and now I'm actually on an unannounced uh show. So Oh can we Bring up, I think it's interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. For the Okay, well, listeners. actually, um, next week is technically my last week at Disney TV <sighs> because uh, I accepted an offer at Netflix for a feature. So OMG, I'm, wow, congrats. Yeah, there. <laughs> so it's, it's bittersweet because I really loved working at Disney TV. Um, so it's a little weird to be leaving after uh, well over five years, five and a half years, something like wow. that. So... Um, but I'm excited. It's it's a new a new chapter. So. That's awesome. Congrats. <laughs> Who's Thank gonna you. be my Disney orientation twin now? Will you still remember me when you're gone? Oh, <laughs> oh I will. <laughs> <laughs> Good. We're gonna stay friends. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, for me, uh, in terms of like resume or experience, uh, so I came into Disney as a as a uh, story apprentice and I got to work on gigantic rest in peace um, (laughs) Ralph Breaks the Internet which was super fun I was on that for like two and a half years from the first screening to the last screening and um, we got to make a short I pitched to our our short circuit Mm -hmm. program and uh, there's like a blind submission and one of my ideas got picked and got to make a short in uh, like 2018 2019 which and is now on Disney Plus, it right? It is. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, there's like this series called Short Circuit, and it collects all of these different shorts. I think mine's episode two, and you just got to watch them all. They're so different and, and so fun. I love They're all amazing. of them. 
Yeah. Uh, and after that, I did a super secret project not announced yet. I'm so <laughs> excited to talk about soon. <laughs> I got to, <laughs> got to board a tiny bit on Raya and the Last Dragon, which just came out. And uh, I boarded on Encanto, which is the upcoming feature. And right now, I think it's okay to talk about, because it's been announced, I'm working on Iwaju, which is uh, Disney oh, yes. and Kugali Media's project. So nice. So so cool. Nice. Yeah, and I should mention Natalie and I know each other because I was story PA on Ralph Breaks the Internet. So I worked yes. pretty closely with Natalie and she the was best always... PA ever. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you were the best story artist ever. Yes. <laughs> Natalie was so reliable and was so often our go to person during Aww. crunch. And um, she was definitely one of those artists where you weren't nervous to knock on their door <laughs> and ask them for Aww. Special production favors. So thank, thank you forever you. for being very flexible and easy to work with and just, yeah, so kind yeah. and talented. Oh, oh my God, Katie. <laughs> those, those were fun times. I'm really glad we got to be on the same project. And it was yeah. so cool watching you go from there to Disney Animator. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> well, thanks guys so much for coming on to the podcast and talking about your backgrounds. I think it's super interesting well, part of the reason we had both of you on is because you guys have sort of a different backgrounds and experiences, like Natalie more focused on feature films, and uh, Isabel obviously focused more on TV. And we think um, uh, kind of talking about story in with both of those things in mind, like getting the opinions of both of you guys is going to be really valuable um, for the listeners. So for everyone listening, in this episode, we're basically going to be having Isabel and Natalie walk us through what a typical day at work entails for them. That's kind of what the MO is for our Pipeline series. And then we're going to ask them a series of questions that were submitted by our lovely listeners. You guys came up with so many questions. Thank you. So, thank you. <laughs> I mean, we're probably not going to even be able to get to all of them, but we will try our best because <laughs> there is a lot of good stuff. Our Our whole goal with this episode is that Hopefully by the end of this, you'll have a much better idea of what a storyboard artist is like and what that means and kind of get excited about the possibilities of the job. So let's start with the basics. Please explain to me like I'm five years old. What is a storyboard artist? Um, so I feel like my answer to this question changes every time. So Natalie, feel free to <laughs> kind of help me with this one. But um, for me, the way I like to describe it um, is that um, a storyboard artist is the person that kind of um, uh, comes up with the sequences of the shots in, in the film or the TV show. And it's the stage that happens right after getting the script um, and Basically, what we do is we draw uh, quick little sketches that represent each shot and what happens within those shots. And I like to think of it as as like we're creating the blueprint for the film or, or TV mm -hmm. show or whatever story that we're storyboarding. And that way, the rest of the production has kind of like a, a plan for how the film will play out. That's how I describe it. That's <laughs> lovely. I love that. Um, I think you, you covered it. I would just say um, the way that I describe it to people, because I come from comics, is I say it's like a really rough black and white comic of the movie. 
you can read it picture by picture and you know what's yeah. going to happen in the movie, but it's not like timed yet. It's not colored. There's not sounds mm -hmm. or, or voices or anything. Um, and that it's, it's a much cheaper way than animating a bunch of stuff and deciding later whether or not it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you figure out totally. whether or not it works in Changing the story your mind. Board. Yeah. And it's mm -hmm. more redrawing than drawing, right? Like we go back, yeah. at least in feature, we go back and we redo the scenes so many times. It's, it's about reworking mm -hmm. the script and the jokes and mm -hmm. uh, the characters until you, until you crack it and you can send it yeah. downstream. Yeah. So each panel will be, really quick and really rough. Um, the point isn't to create a really pretty picture, just to kind of convey or tell the story clearly mm -hmm. um, so that it's efficient. Yeah. yeah, and it's cool because like at the end of the the process for you guys, it's it's all cut together, right? So it's like, and it, there's like an editorial cut of your of the entire movie or TV show just in storyboard form. Yeah. And it basically, it's like how, exactly how you described. Um, it's like a comic book. It's pretty pretty mm -hmm. neat. Yeah, you can find a lot of animatics on YouTube. I often send people to look at those if they aren't entirely sure what storyboarding is. You can find like whatever TV show you like that's animated. If you search the title and animatic, you can probably mm -hmm. find it on YouTube and see what the boards looked like. Yeah, um, it's tough to describe to people because I feel like uh, it's it's kind of an invisible part of the process because mm -hmm. your work is kind of very indirectly in the final product your decisions are but not so much the actual drawings that you create so to the everyday person who doesn't work in animation it's it can be a little confusing <laughs> yeah we just draw the rough draft nothing that we draw yeah. is in the final picture except like you said the decisions you can be like oh, right. well right, that exactly. artist made it better but i drew it first <laughs> <laughs> I contributed. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. It's I love that you said that it comes right after kind of the script stage. Mm -hmm. And I think it might be useful for people if they don't know to know that it comes right before uh, what stage is it usually layout that happens right after it's obviously edited together, but then does it go straight to layout? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, after the animatic is edited together, it goes to layout and uh, I hope I'm getting this right, but for 2D productions, I think the, the layout artist is, is typically also known as the background designer, and they will go off the boards and, and design the uh, layouts for the episode. Um, and then for 3D productions, the layout artist is, is very different. They're the ones that translate the storyboards into the 3D environment, so they're 3D artists uh, instead. But yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, and feature like CG uh, TV, it would be editorial and then layout is the next department it goes mm -hmm. to. Okay, interesting. Is yeah, there ever any, so I'm just going off script now because I'm interested <laughs> and have my own questions here, but is there ever much back and forth between, like, especially with translating it into 3D like you would in the feature world for a CG movie, is there ever any back and forth where they're like, we literally can't do this? In, in layout and CG, or how, how does that work? <laughs> I think layout artists uh, would love to talk to us directly sometimes. We had a mixer <laughs> We had a mixer at Disney where Story got to meet at um, layout, and it was so fun because they're really talented, and we don't actually get to meet them that often, even though our departments are right next to each other. 
Uh, and that did come up a couple of, you know, we were like kind of poking, like, okay, what's one thing you'd love to tell a story? And they were like, could you maybe practice perspective a little more often? This is oh. not possible the way that you drew it. They have to do a lot of cheating sometimes to get, you know, oh, we need the character's face in this shot, but we also need this thing in the background and it's an upshot. They're like, uh. that's not possible, but I'll try. <laughs> That's so interesting. We'll have to bring that up in our layout episode. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) This is like the hot gas of the episode. That's so so interesting to hear because because I work in TV, all the layout and animation is outsourced, so Mm. they don't get a chance to yell at a story (laughs) artist. You're far away. Because we just, we, we make the animatic and then we ship it off and then I guess, I don't, I don't know what happens after that. It comes back and it's beautiful and they do a great job. Yeah. So uh, thank, I thank hope I did a good layout. job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm sure they save us. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> well, I think this uh, transitions well to sort of our second question and second section, which is really the heart of the whole day in the life topic, which is really getting into what does your average day look like? And um, has that varied depending on the project or the position you held? And um, and this is a good place to also talk about your process and what does your process look like from script launch to finished storyboard? Yeah, so in TV, um, I guess I can kind of start by talking about um, the, the timeline of events that happens in TV because it doesn't, at least in my experience, it's stayed pretty consistent mm-hmm. and the same. But um, I mean, it's different from production to production, but uh, the schedule itself doesn't ch- sure. change much within the production. But um, uh, uh, basically what happens is we start with a handout or a launch um, where we're basically, um, we get kind of started on an episode mm-hmm. um, where we have basically a meeting with the director about uh, what episode sequences uh, we're assigned to. Um, We get the script and often we'll have maybe a little bit of a table read where we read through the scripts to get uh, the script together. And uh, um, we have a chance to kind of ask any questions about the intent of the episode and uh, the vision that the director has. Um, And, uh, uh, we're also then at that point given any rele- uh, relevant uh, character prop or location designs that have already been created, oh, which yeah. is not always the case. Um, but that's when they can kind of give us all of that reference uh, for us to work from. Uh, and then after that, we start storyboarding. And at least in my experience, it's been anywhere between six to eight weeks per episode and Mm -hmm. halfway through we have a rough pitch and then at the end of it we have kind of like a final pitch after we've addressed any kind of like major notes that happen during the uh the rough pitch um and then after that it gets handed off to editorial um and and we get launched on a new uh episode so that goes to mm -hmm. um storyboard revisionist sometimes in tv right yeah so that's one of the um i i believe that's one of the differences between uh tv and feature is that in tv there's a position called storyboard revisionist and they are the ones that kind of handle any extra uh, additional 
story notes after it goes into editorial and after it comes back as an animatic. Um, so the storyboard artist is responsible for kind of creating the the first draft or the first, maybe the second draft because we have a rough pitch and then mm-hmm. we get to we have one chance to kind of like do the notes on it. Um, <laughs> wow. But then once it gets to editorial and they, the editor puts in all the, the dialogue and, um, and the sound effects and creates the first rough animatic out of that, that's when uh, we're, we're done with that at that point and the revisionist can come in um, and uh, take over from there. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, day to day, I'm really, for the most part, just at my computer drawing, redrawing, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, going through the script. Um, but yeah, and then like the key meetings will be like the story launch mm-hmm. or the, the, the script launch, the rough pitch, and then the final pitch. So yeah, that's largely how it is in TV. Cool. Awesome. Nice. It's really similar in feature. I It's so interesting that like you call it issuing or launch. Or Sorry, you said handout or launch, and we call it yeah. issuing, but it's the same thing. Uh, Sometimes yeah. there's <laughs> slightly different um, terminology depending on the studio, but it, it's oh, roughly the same thing. Um, so, yeah, we, we generally work 45-hour weeks, so we're there Monday through Friday. Uh, we've got cubicles or offices and we do all this nice company software and hardware that we're drawing on and um i guess every production is different this is not true of every (laughs) Mm -hmm, production mm -hmm. but for example (laughs) there you could be on a movie that's like we issue on mondays and we're gonna read through the script here's a printout of the script we'll do a dramatic reading where we assign parts to different people and we read it out loud and the writers in there the directors in there all the story artists in there maybe the producers in there production supervisor, production assistant are in there. And uh, after the reading, there's a moment to react to the pages. We actually have the privilege of, you know, saying, well, I didn't like that. (laughs) I think that you should do it more like this or that, (laughs) you know, respectfully. And depending on where the project is at, at the beginning, directors are often looking for input from story artists like, is my idea clear yet? Do you like this character? Is this as funny as it could be? Whereas closer to the end, they're only looking for very surgical notes. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't going to blow up anything that we've already done. But <laughs> I think that, you know, like this line would be a little bit funnier, like a little dialogue tweak or whatever. So um, after we talk about it as a group, go back and forth, brainstorm ideas, and the director makes a decision about which way we're going, the story artist will go off with their assignment and I mean, roughly like three to seven pages at a time for a mm-hmm. scene, and then probably try and pitch a rough version of that at the end of the week, get notes, mm-hmm. have maybe another half week or a full week if it's a really cushy schedule to uh, clean it up, time it, and uh, send it down to editorial. So we don't do like real animatic timing, but we kind of roughly mm-hmm. time it just to give the editor mm-hmm. a starting point. And in feature, our schedules are based around these movies coming out about once a year. Uh, so mm-hmm. a movie can be in storyboards for about two years, two and a half years. And in that mm-hmm. time, we storyboard the whole thing and screen it as, a, as like an animatic, the whole movie, about eight to ten times. So you're on like a three-month screening schedule where the director and writer focus on the script and uh, improve it from the last version. 
the story artists draw anything that changed since the last version. The editor gets it all up to speed for a screening, and then we screen it and talk about what worked and what didn't work. Mm-hmm. Wow. Cool. That's super cool. And can you guys talk a little bit about um, like what pitching entails? And also, are you still terrified about pitching, or is that <laughs> over with for so you guys? It seems so scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To the outside observer. <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> I'm still terrified to this day. I mean, but I, I I think that I mean, I think it's it's very personal. It really depends on uh what kind of person you are. Um I'm personally pretty afraid of public speaking in general or any kind of performance. Welcome to the Animation Happy yeah. Hour. <laughs> so sorry. So this took some time for me to be convinced to be on the, on the show. Truth comes but, out. Um, but uh, yeah, so so it, like anything revolving around performance is, is kind of tough for me. So I would say for me personally, that was maybe the most uh, challenging, a challenging thing about the job for me. Um, and I want to say I've gotten a little bit used to it, but I feel like I still get pretty nervous every single time. And like at least in the like five minutes right before the pitch, I'll be like fine, and then and then suddenly I'll freak out. But, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, the what was the question? <laughs> Just like for for people who are like kind of unfamiliar with like what even a pitch is, you oh, know, yeah. could you? Paint a picture of your average day yeah, or average yeah, pitch day. Definitely. Pitch um, day. So a pitch is basically when you get to uh, present your work, present your storyboards to the director and anybody else uh, relevant in the room. So that usually, at least in TV, is for um, uh, the executive producers or mm-hmm. the showrunners. I feel like they're just typically called the executive producers or EPs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the directors and Usually in TV, there are multiple directors because they kind of take over like half the episodes and the other director will take over the other half. Uh, Sometimes there's a supervising director that kind of overlooks all of it. Um, And then any of the producers or sometimes the writers will be in the room as well. Uh, And then um, production management, like the production coordinators to take notes and everything. So um, and that's. The at least during the rough pitch uh, in TV, that's the chance where people can kind of give broader notes. But um, uh, there's usually not a ton of room in the schedule for super huge notes. It'll mm-hmm. usually just be kind of like it really depends. I've gotten some pretty big story changes, but uh, for the most part, um, at least in my experience, the script stays largely the same Mm -hmm. um from uh you know the time i work on it to the end aside from like small moments or gags or maybe some lines too um yeah nice so yeah that's yeah that's generally what the pitch is in tv at least Uh, in feature disney oral tradition loves to say storyboarding was invented by disney you know back in the day (laughs) pinning uh rough drawings up on on a on a cork board and pitching with a yardstick (laughs) so um we still have people working in the department today who pitched on paper who prefer pitching on paper there are still people who draw on paper and then someone it's someone else's job to digitize those for downstream departments but um most people 
board digitally and pitch digitally. So um, you're sitting at a computer in a conference room at the end of the table and you're clicking the right arrow to go forward in your boards. <laughs> you're doing the voices, you're doing the sound effects, you're, you're putting on a, a performance like you're telling a bedtime story to somebody. The lights are out, everybody's looking at the screen. And uh, at the end, again, there's a moment to well, everybody applauds because they're very polite. And then <laughs> there's a moment to rip it to shreds. So um, because we have the uh, luxury of a longer schedule and these multiple screenings for one movie, it can completely get scrapped. It can get rewritten. Mm. So um, there is definitely just like this open conversation afterwards of what worked, what didn't work. And we can go back and forth quite a bit in the room after that. Um, and to answer your question, Ben, do we still get terrified? Uh, I was <laughs> at the beginning and I wasn't sure I would be able to make it as a story artist because I wouldn't say I'm like a particularly loud or gregarious person. And there's kind of this image, at, at least it, yeah. there was in my head of, oh, you got to be like – you gotta be like a bro. You gotta be like <laughs> really confident and a type yeah. A and you, you know, you gotta be wacky and I'm not. <laughs> but I've, I've been really happy to see so many different kinds of people as story artists and successful mm -hmm. story artists. They're very, very shy, quiet story artists, people who don't do the sound effects. They just kind of in a monotonous tone pitch through their boards. And <laughs> it's fun to watch when somebody hams it up, but you don't have to do that. So uh, mm -hmm. if anybody's listening and they're like, I, I just don't know if I have the right personality for story, like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it's a broad, it's a broad job. You can be a lot of different kinds of people and succeed yeah. in story. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I feel like I had a very similar, um, I guess, uh, you know, preconception about what a story artist was. So I originally yeah. thought I wouldn't do story. Yeah, when I when I first started studying in animation, I didn't know what I wanted to do within animation. Mm. Um, and I think because of the pitch, I always kind of automatically assumed I would never be a story artist. Mm. And uh, yeah, and I, I think, and I'm also, I'm I'm not the kind of person to do a ton of sound effects or even different voices or accents. I I just don't like that. So I do the way I pitch is more like a a dramatic reading nice. <laughs> of the <laughs> of the boards rather than different voices because I'm a little too shy for that personally. And but yet, you're right. I have seen different types. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but I, I actually awesome. kind of like pitching now. I don't when I'm not oh, confident wow, that's great. in my boards. Like if I rushed, mm. if I'm late, I, I don't like pitching then because I'm like, oh, this is shit. I'm sorry. But <laughs> normally I actually really like it now. It's it's like it's fun to see a reaction to your work. And mm -hmm. it, it gets less scary every time I do it for sure. That's, that's awesome great. I'm so glad for you. <laughs> I wish it happened to me. <laughs> Yeah. It feels similar to how we feel about dailies. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. It's, it's always scary, especially five minutes before and then. Right. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes it's really fun if you get a reaction. And, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. I love animation dailies. I mean, you guys are just like, mm. it's Christmas. Here's your present. But animation dailies is so cool. Uh, that is the kindest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that is. <laughs> Gosh, that is so much great stuff. Um, I'm interested, what sorts of software do you usually use on a daily basis? 
Or especially oh. even like as an aspiring student, like what would you work in? And, oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a great question. I uh, So in TV, I've only worked with Storyboard Pro. Um, mm-hmm. So as a professional s- storyboard artist, I've only worked with Storyboard Pro. Um, I did not use Storyboard Pro, however, up until the very first day on the job. <laughs> I, I, I had Photoshop the whole time, and in school I was using Photoshop. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I think I like had bought my student version of photoshop cs something at the time <laughs> and so i had that physical copy and and i'd been using that for years and i built my portfolio off of that and then i did hear from after i got my first job offer at uh bix picks they told me i'd be using storyboard pro so i very uh frantically downloaded a bunch of tutorials and the free storyboard pro trial and learned it the night before my job (laughs) (laughs) Dang. Um, in feature it's nice they let you use basically whatever drawing software you want to i use photoshop a lot of people do but increasingly people coming from other studios are are coming in and they're like i prefer working with storyboard pro so we work with that too Mm. pitching software you have to learn to use is proprietary to disney so you like learn that when Mm. you show up and it's a nice cataloging and pitching software but drawing you can draw with whatever you want some people draw on ipad there's um Uh, some people can board and procreate and um, there's also a Disney proprietary thumbnailing software for iPad Mm. Um, and when I was trying to break in it was just Photoshop I would download like a template for the for the thumbnail panels and then just kind of draw in a new layer and I didn't super know what I was doing but that worked well enough Mm -hmm. I'm so curious do does anyone board traditionally still or is that just not does not work with the yeah. Current way things go. Yeah, especially if you're in the story room and you're trying to pitch an idea visually. There's paper on the tables. There's sharpies. There's mm-hmm. grease pencils mm-hmm. to like shade gray, and people will like sketch oh, something cool. really quick and sh- you know hold it up. What about this? What if they did this? Um, oh, nice. Yeah. I think John Rippa, Mark Smith, um, Don Doherty. They they still board on paper sometimes, uh, and then it'll be oh, wow. transferred to digital later. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I remember I like on Ralph Brick's internet, Jim Reardon would sometimes board like a whole sequence yeah. on, on the story pad. Yeah. Uh, physically. And I I distinctly remember one time he just went into his office for like two hours and boarded the entire hair. Uh, what was that sequence called? The one hair where shoot. hair <laughs> shoot. Yeah. The whole sequence where the princesses like rescued Ralph while he was falling from the air. I remember he boarded that on in two hours first in That's like epic. very, very roughly, very quickly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I wow. scanned it in. And then I remember Natalie, I think you helped clean it up and yep. some others. And yeah, so some people definitely still board. That's um, a great but then point. Yeah, but then we usually do scan it digitally so you can pitch it digitally. But um, the nice yeah. thing about paper is you you go so much faster. Like mm. with digital, it's mm. so easy to start animating or adding tone and like yeah. draw oh, way too many drawings. But on paper, it's like just the ideas, like get it out that fast. That makes sense. Wow. That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. I wanted to ask, um, do you guys go through distinct crunch periods? Like, does production ebb and flow depending on where you are in the 
in the production and um, do you ever have downtime or is, is it stay prayer fairly consistently busy and yeah, how does it change over time? Hmm. So I guess I would say that in my experience, it's been fairly consistent in TV, um, mostly because we're on a pretty rigid episode rotation and it's kind of just up to us to get everything done within those six or so weeks. And then we're off that episode and launched on a new one pretty much no matter what. Um, and then after that, it's it's up to the revisionist to kind of, like, take care of the rest of it. Um, so generally, the workload is pretty much the same within any episode rotation, uh, depending on how challenging that particular script is. Um, and then, I mean, like, you know, of course, things can kind of get naturally hectic right before a pitch, because... You think you're good at time management until it's two days before the pitch and suddenly you're panicking about the state of your work. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then, you know, right after the pitch, I generally feel pretty relaxed, but not for that long, to be honest, because, um, you know, right after the pitch, they schedule you for another script launch pretty much right away. And so as a result, I feel like in TV, we just don't get a ton of, like, scheduled downtime necessarily yeah y'all yeah, work really hard and f and fast tv sounds like it's no joke <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I the thing is like it's 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 so fast but it's it's so it, the pace is so consistently fast it's not like all of a sudden we're just going to get dropped like a ton of work at one point like mm -hmm. it's just here's a ton of work figure out how to get it done in this period of time but it's not yeah. really going to change much um, mm -hmm. unless mm -hmm. there's some sort of emergency where something isn't working. But I, at least in my experience, that hasn't really changed much. So this is one area where feature might be pretty different because we do ebb and flow quite a bit around those screening schedules. So mm -hmm. about once every three months, there's a really tight crunch. And, you know, production always does their best to try and keep the workload steady throughout and front load anything that we can be working on even when the writer's working on the script and there are no pages to board. Okay, you guys do some exploratory assignments. Here's an, a section that we know needs more jokes. So just go off and, and pitch us joke ideas for this section for a couple weeks. <laughs> but it inevitably around the screening when there's a drop dead deadline for an edit to get the, the boards down there. It's like all hands on deck. Please come in on the weekends uh, yeah. if you can. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, paid, gotcha. paid, overtime paid, which I, I love money, so I'm happy to do it. Um, yeah. About every three months, there's a pretty crunchy area. I don't want to be too negative uh, describing like just the crunch without mentioning that there is also a nice lull around the screening. Uh, right after we have that crazy crunch and we turn everything over to edit, it's out of our hands and suddenly it's edits crunch and we get to relax normally for about a week before the screening. And um, even after that, there's kind of a quiet period where we're more talking about the big picture for a few days, right? So it's a lot of meetings, but not a lot of drawing and often you can, you can go home early. So that's kind of our recovery period. Awesome. So can you guys talk a little bit about the relationship between the story artist, the director, the story team, and just kind of how the team is run? Yeah. So in TV, they're usually, I can kind of describe like the makeup of, of, of the story team on in TV, but on most productions, there are, I want to say about eight storyboard artists, uh, um, at least in my experience. And 
uh, for most shows that are uh, 22 minutes long, we're typically partnered with another storyboard artist on uh, an episode, which that might be uh, an additional difference between TV and feature that we get Mm -hmm. in in that we get storyboard partners. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it just basically means that we each get assigned half the script um, upon launch and we're kind of there for the launch together. We pitch together um, and What's great about having a storyboard partner is that you can kind of, it's just an automatic person that you can easily bounce ideas off Mm -hmm. of. Um, I mean, you can bounce ideas off of anyone, but they know the episode you're on. They, they've been launched on the exact same episode and story. So you can kind of like, it's somebody else who has another, like a pretty good knowledge of, uh, the story that you're working with. Um, and, um, the whole time we pretty much, mostly communicate with a director um and then during the pitches that's when we communicate with a larger part of the crew sometimes i've been on some shows where you pitch to the entire crew um but for the most part um it's been usually just the executive producers the writer uh anybody in production management that's assigned to the episode as well um and your story partner so we pitch it kind of together um each of our sections so yeah that's that's generally how it goes awesome nice. um mm-hmm. in feature there's about eight eight to ten artists on a project at a time less at the beginning more during like the crunchiest crunch um and hopefully like we get to know each other pretty well because we're in the room at the same time and bouncing ideas off of each other and helping each other um the the director is normally the person running the show so um like movie ideas at disney come from the director and ultimately they're the decision maker when you know we're not really agreeing on what's the right path forward Mm -hmm. um and the writer may be in the room as well uh and and sometimes we have writers slash directors so you know that that can happen too um but uh, ultimately, like the story team is there to support the director's vision. So a big, a big learning curve is like <laughs> it's so natural for everybody to have like their own version of what the movie should be and what they imagine <laughs> it should be, right? Like, oh my, my head cannon for what this is going to be. I love it. And eventually, like, there comes a point in the project where you realize, oh, the director's vision is not what's in my head, and I need to help them make the best possible version of the movie that's in their head. So um, sure. it is about, yeah, like <laughs> hopefully getting to know your director as well as possible and like their taste and sense of humor and just like, of course, like bringing your full self and everything that you have to offer. But um, t- like realizing that you're basically a menu for the director to choose from. You're just like, what about this? What about that? What do you like? That one? Okay, we'll do that one. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, what who was the question? The the story artist, the director, the story team. Yeah, that's kind of how it's run and then production is there to make sure that we don't run out of time or money and <laughs> they're wonderful. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> we need them so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm so that's glad great. you ended with that. That is a great segue into the next question. Um this is something we we get a lot of questions about. Basically, we hear a lot of like how many panels should you do in a day or per sequence, etc. Um, can you two possibly give a rough estimate or a range for the kinds of deadlines and turnaround times a story artist is expected to abide by? Yeah, the, so it can 
greatly vary depending on the production. Um, but for in my experience, for the most part, um, I've gotten about six to eight weeks uh, per episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, keeping in mind that halfway through those uh, six weeks, we do have to do a rough pitch. So in that time, in the two to three week period before then, we are expected to to rough out the entire um, uh, half the 22 page, uh, 22 minute script, basically. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, and it's important to just kind of keep it really rough in that first uh, uh, for the rough pitch, essentially, uh, so that it gives a little bit more room for those broader uh, changes if necessary. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean that that remains fairly consistent. Like every six weeks, I'll be launched on a new episode, regardless of where it's at. <laughs> yeah. Nice. It it can vary a lot in feature because mm. your assignment might be two pages, and they want to see it. You know, it's it's Monday now. They want to see it Wednesday, and that's reasonable. Or you could have a giant fight scene, or like a really long mm-hmm. scene sometimes. So, I think maybe the more useful thing to say is. When I see portfolios from artists, often there are too many drawings versus not enough. So Mm. we have Mm, a story test, or we used to, where the challenge was to tell a complete story with a beginning, middle, and end in 120 frames. And I feel like that's Mm. more challenging than showing me that you can do a 600-panel sample, you know? (laughs) Because um, there isn't time for that normally in production. You do want to be really efficient where you can. So learning when you actually need more drawings and when you can communicate something with one or two is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, Just for, like, it, it is important to learn how to draw quickly. So just to give kind of a benchmark, if you're boarding like a five page scene in a week, which is, you know, the ideal general rule Mm. that hardly ever happens. But let's say it's that. (laughs) Um, I mean, like maybe 200 panels a week. I think that would be fine. Mm. Uh, If you're thumbnailing, hopefully you can get through them in like two days and then Mm. pitch something rough by Friday. Wow. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that in at least in TV, the general, I don't know about panel count. I think that's really difficult to, to calculate, but I have heard the general rule in TV one to two pages of script per day Mm. to rough that out. Makes sense. Obviously not all script pages are created equal. Some of them will (laughs) be filled with action and it'll all just be in like two lines. (laughs) The battle ensues. And, that's rough, <laughs> but um, but yeah. sometimes it'll just be ensues. yeah. That's hilarious. I've, I've seen that before. It's fun, <laughs> but um, um, and sometimes it'll just be kind of a simple dialogue scene. So you know, it, it, but one page, maybe two pages a day, sounds about right. Uh, but it's so hard to to kind of like give a precise number about yeah. that. That's totally understandable and so yeah. funny. It's the exact same in animation where, you know, somebody's like, how many seconds should you animate a week or whatever? Mm-hmm. It's like, mm. well, what's happening during this second? <laughs> 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 it can take me three weeks to animate two seconds or if it's a different kind of shot, I can animate 10 seconds in a week, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah that's it's the really, same thing. Yeah, yeah lots of parallels. <laughs> yeah. On a related note, 
Um, how rough or clean do you do drawings need to be? And does that ever vary by the studio, by the production, uh, by who's in charge? <laughs> um, yeah, in your experience. Yeah, I, it does vary from production to production, which is, I feel like, something I'm going to keep saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I have had very different experiences. And um, yeah, it really largely depends on the the director and, and what they're looking for and what the production's looking for. Um, uh, so for TV, because the animation is outsourced, in general, we do have to end up with like a fairly clean and clear looking uh final storyboard like the the, the final um assignment that, that we hand in i guess uh, mm-hmm. does need to be fairly clean it needs to be generally cleaner on 2d shows just because there isn't that cg layout phase that can act as oh, like a yeah. nice little Makes buffer sense. where they save <laughs> the storyboard and make it all work um right. and because um what happens in at least from what I understand in 2D uh, productions, the animators at the at the studio that it's all outsourced to, they do kind of end up relying on a lot of the uh, the storyboard panels for key poses in their um, in their animation. So uh, it is a mm-hmm. little bit more important to kind of get that right. Um, so. So yeah, at least that's what I've heard. Um, Natalie, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like it's more important to be a little bit more clean in TV, whereas in, I've heard in feature, it's okay to be pretty rough. I'd say that's fair. Yeah, because especially at Disney feature, we're not outsourcing. Um, we get to go down to animation and talk to each other. If there's any kind of miscommunication, it's very rare. Right. <laughs> so uh, we can be pretty rough in our boards. And especially when it gets crunchy, um, I, I've pitched things that are so ugly, you wouldn't believe. You would not believe <laughs> what gets through. Stick figures, lollipop people. But if, if awesome. it reads and you know what the emotion is and you know what's mm-hmm. happening, sometimes mm-hmm. that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. So it really depends. And then there are productions where maybe the person who's head of story or director they're a really strong drafts person. Maybe they come from story and they expect mm. a certain level of draftsmanship in, in the mm-hmm. um, art. So like that can happen too. But luckily mm. with us, there's normally a few movies boarding at a time and they can have really different vibes. So like for me, Ralph Breaks the Internet was a great fit for me because I love comedy and I'm not the strongest drafts person in our department, but like that that production was uh, run by Rich Moore and um, Jim Reardon and, and Josie Trinidad was head of story. And the three of them are really great at um, reading. They, they all three are board artists and they're like, as long as it reads, like we, we can tell what's happening even when it's really rough. So let's just get the ideas out and focus on the entertainment. So that was like a really great production for me to, to ramp up at Disney on. It is so interesting to hear you guys talk through this because um, I'm thinking like a lot of students who might feel like their draftsmanship isn't completely there yet. You know, maybe they have really, really strong ideas or really funny. Yeah, like funny story ideas. I guess what would you say to those um, prospective storyboard artists who maybe like do not have 
necessarily a good sense of draftsmanship yet, but they have really strong ideas. Do you feel like like those people, oh, it's fine to, to be able to break in a story, like don't worry about it? Or do you think there's some minimum like, no, you kind of have to have like perspective, you know, you have to have some sense of anatomy, like, you know, how do they manage that? I'm just, I'm curious because I feel like that there's probably a lot of people like that thinking along those lines. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I have a lot of thoughts for that so i'm trying to get that <laughs> organized um sorry I, I, I feel like that's a yeah it's Ad-lib. a great question um it's a really good place to be i feel like if you're if you have all the ideas and um and that's kind of like where your strengths lie and the technical aspect of drawing i feel like can be worked on um <laughs> it, it's not that it's 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 easy to get better at drawing but it's it's simple to get better at drawing it's practice and mm. uh whereas the ideas that's the kind of part where it's a little more nebulous it's a it's a little more difficult mm. to kind of like train yourself to have more ideas <laughs> or be more creative so i feel like that's a really great place to start um uh and um with storyboarding what i generally tell people to focus on the most is um is what natalie said before like clarity clarity of storytelling mm-hmm. and uh and maybe pushing your emotions and having kind of like strong poses and emotional uh drawings and expressions um because i would say the most common thing that i see in um kind of early story portfolios from students is that either either the storytelling or the drawings are a little unclear or they're very stiff. And those are kind of the first two things that I kind of like latch onto and say like, work on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And as Mm -hmm. long as you can tell a story clearly uh, with um, an energetic drawing (laughs) and clear drawing, I think um, you're in a really great place to kind of get to where you want to be as a storyboard artist. 100% agree. I love your answer, Isabel. Um, this is such a great question. I feel like we could, it's super juicy. We could stay here for like 10 minutes. Um, (laughs) can you rephrase the question again? Just so I make sure I stay on top. Oh (laughs) man. Yeah, no, that's a, this is another good thing to do. I have to um, figure out how to rephrase it. Um, (laughs) what did I say? No, I would say, what advice do you have for a student now who's interested in storyboarding? but their draftsmanship, it just isn't there. And they have really, really good ideas. And maybe they draw like stick figures or something. Um, uh, I guess that's one part of the question. The second part is like, is there a line where you kind of need to, like, you know, you need perspective, you need anatomy, there's, you have to have some minimum of drawing to, to get into the job. Yeah, yeah, man, this is a great question. Okay, so Isabel nailed it. It's so much easier to teach somebody how to draw in perspective better or to up their draftsmanship over time through practice than it is to look at someone's portfolio and be like, oh, they don't understand how to tell a story or they're not mm. funny. You know, like that's mm-hmm. really hard to teach somebody. <laughs> oh, man. Or, or like they're mm-hmm. not nice. They're not collaborative. Those skills, uh, like yeah. you can teach somebody how to use software or how to not break the 180 degree rule or how to, you know, mm-hmm. draw like eyes in this person's art style. That's fine. Um, but yes, yeah, story is intense because you could be asked to draw 
anything today at work. It might be like they hop on a horse and ride through a library or, you know, they have a laser battle or like we're out, we're in outer space. <laughs> it, yeah. It's like being a comic book artist. You have to be like not just have memorized how to draw one type of person doing like one genre of thing. You have to be prepared mm-hmm. to like roughly sketch out something you've never drawn before. So you have to be really mm-hmm. flexible and willing to like break it down like come up with the composition of what this new thing is that you've never drawn before and uh, draw it from a bunch of different angles, like hundreds of times, oh which gosh. is complicated <laughs> and fast, fast, yeah. fast. Exactly. Yeah. So like yeah. if somebody's um, it, it does have to be at a certain level to break in anywhere. And then certain studios, the standards are going to be really high depending on like, what the directors want to see or like how hard it is to get in there. They might, Mm -hmm. you know, even if it's not strictly necessary, that might be the difference between two portfolios where it's like, well, we like both of them, but look how pretty the art is on this one. That can sometimes get you in, even though it's not Mm. strictly necessary for a story portfolio. Mm. These drawings all get thrown away, but I mean, we're all seduced by beautiful art. So it's not a bad thing to focus on. Let's, let's put it that way. Like it's not a bad skill to Mm -hmm. have. I, I say, if you're not sure if you're there yet, a really awesome test you can do is storyboard a scene, uh, take all the dialogue out and the descriptions out, and then hand it to a friend who's never seen it before and ask them to read it back to you to tell you what they mm. think is happening when they look That's at your great. boards. Mm. And if they're not mm. getting it right, then it's not clear enough. Yeah. That is such a good tip. Yeah. No, <laughs> that, I, 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 I totally agree with you. I feel like that is something that I will recommend somebody to do as their next storyboard exercise if I find that their portfolio is filled with a lot of writing because in the end that's not the the job the job is to be able to tell a story visually so I'm like all right try to for your next you know story personal story sequence try to come up with something where you don't have the crutch of dialogue to tell you what's happening Um, that's so smart really important skill as a story artist thank you guys that's that's this is a juicy juicy topic (laughs) all right so now we're moving on to the next topic which is who and like what types of people might enjoy enjoy storyboarding sorry (laughs) i said enjoy enjoy it Enjoy. I would enjoy, I enjoy it. Sidebotting. <laughs> like, let's keep all of this in. <laughs> okay. Um, well, if you are somebody who loves not just drawing, but you like story as well, like you get out of a movie and you turn to your friend and you're like, could you believe that scene where they realized what was going on and oh my gosh, or, or you read screenwriting books or you know, you have opinions about how a movie could have been better when it comes to the story. This mm-hmm. is a great job for you because you get to draw, but you also get to focus on writing and filmmaking and, and story, like how to make the characters better and the plot better. Um, it's great if you're somebody like me who doesn't necessarily have the patience to learn how to photorealistically draw things or paint. <laughs> we don't have to worry about color. We don't have to worry about like it's not the final drawing. You can get, you can have a really great storyboarding career with, um, lower draftsmanship than some other jobs. I mean, like they're amazing story artists, but just saying like, 
if you like getting the idea out and sketching it and moving on, this is a great job for you. And you don't mind drawing fast. And you're social. (laughs) It's social. You have to get along with other people and collaborate. I guess that's really important. Like Mm. there people will say, thank you for working on that for a month. It's out of the movie now. And here's your next scene. And you have to be okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's uh, that's uh, almost exactly what I was going to say in terms of um, in terms of if you're the kind of artist that doesn't like to spend more than a few minutes on any kind of drawing (laughs) and doesn't really have the patience to, you know, render every detail. And and uh, I mean, I I personally really I get impatient very fast when I draw. And so um, I think that was really what appealed uh, what appealed to me about storyboarding was that it's really more about kind of getting the ideas out um, quickly and then being comfortable with throwing those ideas away and coming up with new ideas and that that's okay because that's part of the process and it's part of the process to get the most out of the story and or to more like figure out how to more effectively um convey a certain emotion or to how to direct an audience's emotion so i found that particularly exciting about storyboarding um also i feel like anybody who kind of likes to look at the bigger picture of things it really helps because even just talking to garrett about the differences between our jobs um, they overlap in so many ways, except that he does it on much more of a micro level, whereas I do the exact same thing, but on a on a macro mm-hmm. level when it comes to the the project. So the animator's job in in some way is to kind of elicit elicit an, a reaction out of the audience, and it's the same for story, but just on a <laughs> On a bigger picture scale. So, and I I love that. I really like that about. um, That's why they're so, I feel like they are kind of related in a lot of ways, like Mm -hmm. how you described, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, it's super interesting. Do you guys find that story artists have different strengths, like whether it's action, comedy, or musical choreography? And do you two personally have something that you gravitate towards or especially enjoy? Hmm. I think a lot of people do have particular strengths when it comes to tone or genre. Um, mm-hmm. And like the classic division would be, do you do comedy, drama, or action, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. most most animated films in the U.S. Ha- are, are like somewhere in that neighborhood. Like there's not a lot of horror. Mm-hmm. There's not like a lot of strictly <laughs> mm-hmm. romance stuff. But comedy, action, drama, those are like – that's the power tripod. If you can do those three, you're <laughs> set. You're set. Um, and there are definitely people who like skew towards one or the other. I'd say like I like comedy and drama. I'd love to learn how to get better at action, but I haven't boarded a lot of action scenes yet. Mm-hmm. And these, they tend to go to people that the directors already know are good at action. So if you want mm-hmm. to branch out, sometimes you have to do that on your own time or like, mm-hmm. you know, challenge okay. yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so interesting because uh, I agree that most people have kind of like a tendency to either enjoy or be good at um, uh, either comedy, drama, or action. 
But I think in TV, it just doesn't matter because you're just given half the episode <laughs> and it doesn't matter. What's, like, That's awesome. I've been on, yeah, I mean, I've been on productions where they'll ask like, oh, is there a particular scene or section that you'd like to do that that you know calls to you in the script and which is that's really great because that's kind of a chance to kind of talk with your storyboard partner and figure out who wants to tackle what but for the most part we just kind of have to do it anyway <laughs> regardless <laughs> we're not we're not necessarily like cast so to speak on on specific types of sequences or anything cuz every episode just needs to get done you're put on a rotation and there good you have luck. it. <laughs> yeah, you good know, luck. <laughs> you know that meme of the uh, Shiba Inu that's like jacked and then the one that's crying in the corner? I feel like that's TV and feature. Like, <laughs> I, I just have to get the episode done. They gave me an action scene. I can't do that. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I feel like that's it's amazing. really interesting to hear um, how it works in feature for you because... I I do kind of like wish sometimes that I got the chance to like try it again, like try to tackle the same thing, but you know, with with a different angle if and see if I can elicit a better reaction out of that. And I feel like I don't get a ton of chances to do that. And that challenges a different part of your brain to have to come up with a more efficient or a better way to do it. Because there's no one way to, to storyboard anything and that's partially what's so exciting about storyboarding too. That's There's a no great point. We do have time to iterate. So much time, so many iterations. <laughs> but like there's yeah. there's time for mentorship. Like your head of story can mm. come in and explain why they wanted a different way, and you can see it five oh. different ways and why it works I better that. that way. So that that is a nice thing about feature. I feel like it just challenges a different part of your brain mm. um, because there it is it is tough to kind of tackle the exact same thing that you just spent so many hours doing but in a different way just to see if that works better yeah um you know based off of feedback and so i I don't know i i I think that can be really challenging too because that is something that i hear out of people in future where it's like okay well if you're willing to like redo the same thing for weeks at a time (laughs) then feature is the right way to go so but i I find that really exciting so i like that nice I love your I love maybe. your state of mind. That's that's a great way of looking at it. <laughs> yeah. And maybe also that kind of uh reveals to me that feature and TV might attract two different type of storyboard artists. Maybe storyboard artists who are more interested in kind of more variety and just doing all sorts of different things or mm. I don't know. I don't want to say that you're going to get you're not going to get pigeonholed in in feature necessarily, but well, maybe it's, it's a little it, it's something that comes up, yeah. So, like, um, mm. our, our studio is really aware of that, and they try not to do that. Your head of story might come to you and ask, are you trying to stretch in any area? What can I cast you on that you'd be excited about? But it just happens naturally, yeah, for a lot yeah. of the time. Another another mm-hmm. cool thing about TV from mm-hmm. the outside looking in is, like, wow, what you drew gets made, like, two months later. <laughs> it's animated. It's like, wow, you boarded that, and now it's a thing, like, within the same year. It's so cool. Yeah, it's pretty fast. I'm pretty... It, there's only one show that I've been on where, like, it's still not out yet, and I'm so <laughs> excited for it to come out, and that's the Monsters show. Oh, my gosh, I can't Monsters wait. Network. Yeah, I th- and, you know, it's, it's funny, because now that I think about it, it's probably because it, they 
adopted more of a feature approach oh, yeah. to oh. that show. Um, or at least that that's what I've been told. So maybe that's why they've okay. taken their time. <laughs> 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 but I'm excited <laughs> to see it. But you're right. Yeah. Awesome. So we actually have an exciting first listener question for you guys from <laughs> at RJ underscore Rod. RJ Rod. Here we go. <laughs> Do story artists come from random backgrounds? And I'm going to assume, I guess that I'm, I'm trying to think of maybe he's talking about like, you know, different jobs, like, you know, they kind of like Natalie was talking about she came from comic books or I don't know, maybe you have... I don't know. Yeah. Answer it as you please, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's safe to say yes. There are, you know, some classic schools that like a lot of people graduate from Cal Arts or Sheridan or USC or um, Art Center or uh, SCAD. And then they come to story. And those are like really great backgrounds if you can afford that. But a lot of people didn't go to art school. There's not a required degree to be a story artist, which is cool. Mm. So as long Mm. as you have like the skills and the portfolio, the pedigree doesn't matter so much. Uh, Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I know people who were pre-med students. I know people who had Mm -hmm. previous careers Mm. before transitioning into story a lot of people uh, who were 2D animators, and when those jobs started to dry mm. up, they transitioned into story because they could draw so well. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you you see people from all kinds of different backgrounds. So that's a cool thing about story. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. I feel like I've encountered a similar variety of people from different um, backgrounds who either went to art school, film school, um, or or didn't go to art or film school at all um and just kind of worked on their skills on their own um i feel like i even remember and i hope i'm not going to butcher this guy's backstory but i do remember working with someone where i'm pretty sure he said he was a construction worker until the age of 27 or so and uh but then he got into a motorcycle accident and then was kind of like bedridden for half a year and decided to kind of pick up drawing. He always liked to draw, like he always did little comics and stuff just for fun on the side, but um, never really thought about taking it seriously as a, as a career or anything. But in those six months that he was, uh, you know, in bed recovering, he just, he learned about storyboarding. And I think he just kind of like, became a storyboard artist after <laughs> oh that gosh. because of his in- injury. So wow. I thought wow. that was really cool. And I hope I'm not getting the details right, but that was kind of largely what I remember from this mm-hmm. guy's uh, backstory. So I thought that was really cool. That's so awesome. you can awesome. start at any point. And, yeah. And it's really just about the work that you put into it. Super encouraging. Yeah. So the next question is, do you have any tips for breaking into story? So there are kind of a, quite a few sub-questions to this, so I'm just going to go list them all in one. Um, one, can you describe what a portfolio might look like for a story, art, story artist? Does it vary depending on the medium, genre, etc.? Can you include comics or sequential art, um, gesture drawings? Or does it need to be an animatic form on a website or a blog, etc.? Okay, so I can speak to feature, um, what I've seen work well for folks, uh, So 
the number one thing is you have to have storyboards. We can't evaluate your portfolio if all you have is comics and illustrations or character mm-hmm. designs or animation. You need storyboards. Make sure those are the first thing we see when we open your portfolio and you've got more than one sample. I say three is mm-hmm. a really good number. Um, it's okay if you only have two, but aim for three. Um Mm-hmm. And they don't have to be long. They can be a hundred panels each. That's okay. Just try and make sure that they have an arc. If it's a scene, it doesn't have to be a complete story, but a beginning, middle, and end. Setup, mm-hmm. payoff. I want to see all three. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, you can definitely put in supplementary material behind that. When I applied for the apprenticeship, I had a couple storyboard samples and then I had comic pages because I came from comics. I felt like, okay, this mm-hmm. this isn't exactly the job, but it's a lot of the same skills. Maybe this will help them make a decision. I think it did. So if there's something else that you're proud of that you think is relevant, you can definitely put it in. I think figure drawing is even more relevant than comics. I would throw in some some figure drawings. Not the really nice shaded kneecap and knuckle stuff, but like gestural <laughs> stuff, like one to five minute uh, poses. And this is even better, um, sketches of things that you saw in the real world, like cafe sketches. Um, oh, I saw this really cute moment on the bus where this dad picked up his kid and they were like running in the air, you know, like sketch that out. Mm. It doesn't have to be in a certain format, but that shows me like how you see the world. So Uh, that gets back to like, not just your technical art skills, but who are you? How do you think about the same thing that we might see when we're walking down the street? Does your brain go to character moments, uh, comedy, entertainment? Um, Show us that. So one thing that would be awesome to put in a story portfolio if your goal is to work on uh, CG projects or in feature is just showing that you know how to move the camera in 3D space. That's a big difference between a 2D okay. TV show and a CG feature. So um, it's a little bit gimmicky, but I do recommend for people, if you know you're going for CG feature, to find somewhere in your board samples to put a 3D camera move. Maybe, I mean, the extreme example is like a tracking shot following, you know, uh, a, a dish that's going through a restaurant up to a table uh-huh. or mm-hmm. like somebody who's going through a train and they're like looking in the seats at people and it's not just a straight zoom. Maybe you zoom and swivel over and then you keep zooming a 3D camera move yeah. like that. So just finding a place to mm-hmm. put that in so we know your brain works that way and mm-hmm. you're aware of the challenges of boarding for CG features. And uh, sorry, I feel I'm reading your question. I just want to make sure I hit it all. Um <laughs> I don't like when it's an animatic form, personally. Uh, I would rather just have um, – there's there's this site called Speaker Deck where you can upload a PDF of your boards one frame per page, and that lets me oh. click right to see um, mm. one frame at a time, which is a lot better for, for evaluating your timing and your boards. Um, speaker deck is free. I use that for uploading PDFs and, and making a nice clickable file. And you can embed that, for example, in, in like a blogger, uh, website. Oh, that's awesome. So that's a free way to make a story portfolio. A lot of people do that free blogger website. You just have one post at the top. That's your portfolio post. And you got your name off to the side, your contact info off to the side. And then you can embed JPEGs of your art. Or, you know, do a speaker deck. That's like the cleanest way, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and That's I mean, great. we've we've hired people off of an Instagram account too, so don't feel like you have to splurge on a really expensive website. Just find what works best for you to show off your work, and make sure that we can contact you. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. really great. Maybe we can have uh, links to, uh, especially speaker deck and some of those, those things yeah, in our uh, show notes. So yeah, check those out. For sure. Yeah. Sorry, Isabel, I just jumped in there. But Oh, no, no, that. no. It's okay. I totally agree with speaker deck. I love speaker deck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I also, just to kind of jump off of your last point, I feel like for the longest time, my portfolio was just on a free Blogspot account. And because just it was, it was, clean and simple. It was just an easy way to kind of, you can put in your speaker deck, what is it called? Embed link thing in there. So it'll show up and you can, you can, uh, uh, tap through your boards that way. And then you can upload JPEGs as well, uh, for your supplemental materials. But I actually, I feel like Natalie really nailed it. I completely would have said the exact same thing, um, about, (laughs) what a typical storyboard portfolio would look like for TV as well. I actually don't think there might be a huge distinction between making a storyboard portfolio for TV versus feature, because I think they're looking for a lot of very similar skills. They're just going to be kind of applied in in different ways um, between the two disciplines. But I mean, in the end, it's really mostly about being able to tell a story clearly Yes, it does need to be, I want to say, like 90% storyboards because that's the job (laughs) that you're going to be hired for. (laughs) Um, So that just needs to be front and center. And yeah, I I generally recommend two to three short story sequences. And I think I'm almost a broken record when when it comes to explaining like short story beginning middle and end like yes. just even even if it's like <laughs> you're writing this grand feature story and you just want to do one scene within that just make sure um that it has some sort of arc and a beginning middle and end that mm-hmm. so that the you know whoever's looking through it a recruiter or a director isn't really ever left with any kind of confused feelings about the the work like they understand mm-hmm. what's going on at, because i mean that i think is one of the most important skills is to be able to tell a story clearly so if you have somebody looking through your storyboard portfolio and they're confused at any point that's already not achieving what it needs to achieve so um yeah. but yeah otherwise i totally agree i think that's about the same for uh for uh tv as well can i Add something I forgot, and Isabel, tell me mm-hmm. if it's the same for TV. Um, mm. I, I've been recommending people do, you know, at least two, preferably three story samples, but mm-hmm. also right after them to show the thumbnails for that same scene. So you've got like mm. your boards, but yeah. underneath you've got your thumbnail sketches because that kind of show. it's like showing your math, right? It shows yeah. me the thought process. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if, That's if, really cool. If we're so crunched that you're turning mm-hmm. in stick figures, which can happen in features, like, <laughs> yeah, can we still read them? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I, I say that when it comes to like supplemental stuff. Like mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. anything that kind of shows your thought process when you're, um, you know, building your story, I think is really helpful, um, especially if it's 
um, either thumbnails or maybe even some beat boards or character sketches. Uh, I think those are all kind of like really valid supplemental materials that I think most people like to see because it still does the job of showcasing your ability to tell a story or a moment or tell something about a character. Um, I'm going to jump in with an Mm -hmm. off script question to this, which is, um, can you guys talk about like the balance between your professional and personal work on a portfolio? If you're at that point in your career where you have some professional work, like what is a good ratio to have? Because I imagine it's beneficial to show that you've worked professionally, but then so much of it is your personal voice. So if you guys have an opinion on that, I'm sure listeners would like to know. (laughs) Oh, Katie, that's so good that you brought that up. I I was going to completely forget to talk about that. And that's really important (laughs) um, for feature because sometimes we're given brainstorming assignments or borderline writing assignments. We Mm -hmm. really want to see original samples, something that you wrote. So that's very important. It can be like, oh, it's Little Red Riding Hood, but this is my twist on it. That's okay. But, you know, (laughs) preferably it's an original story that you came up with. So um, Mm. that's actually way more relevant for us than a sample that you did for like for school or like an assignment or fan art. We see a lot of portfolios Mm -hmm. that are like, these are the Frozen characters if I was boarding them. And it's like, no, we already know who they are. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What's in your head, (laughs) you know? Um, So, yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. Here's what I would have done with Elsa if I was at Disney. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's actually really interesting. I'm not quite sure if uh, it's as important for TV because I feel like I have seen people get jobs with showing previous production work um, on a TV show. I will say for myself, I do kind of tend to just put it on a totally different part of my... I have like a website and my main portfolio is really just my personal work because I feel like... Mm -hmm. I feel like personally that best showcases what I can do and um and and maybe my personality whereas um I feel that my production work it's 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 cool to show but I tend to kind of stay away from it because a by the time it comes out it's already like a year old and I don't really like it anymore (laughs) um and then b because it just goes through uh I feel like I personally don't feel like it doesn't it, it doesn't showcase my best work. Oh gosh, that sounds so terrible. But it, but it's, <laughs> it's just because we're on such a like fast schedule that I feel like I would have wanted to take it even further and do more with it. But I just kind of had to walk away because I'm like, well, it's out of my hands now. Yeah. This is it. So sure. I guess yeah. I don't know. I guess for me, it's hard to kind of put that into my portfolio, other than like look, I've worked on a production before and this is kind of what the boards look like Mm -hmm. when I, you know, work under those, you know, deadlines and, 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 and this is how I adapt my style for various productions. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, is it common to have to do tests for story positions? Uh, yes, I tested to get my position. Um, 
We try not to overuse that because they're unpaid and they take time to do. That's definitely a hot button issue uh, in mm. animation. I feel like we don't test people if they have feature experience and we can see boards from their past features. Um, it's not necessary, but the good thing about boards is it means somebody whose portfolio doesn't necessarily show that they're ready, like they're right on the bubble. They can do a test and show us, oh, they're ready. And that means that we're not just hiring people who've already worked in feature or like the same pool of people. It, it lets us open mm -hmm. it up for new opportunities. That's yeah. Cool. Um, in, in TV, it's very common to, to have a test. Um, I think definitely for Disney TV, I had to take a test in order to get the job. But on the other hand, um, the very first storyboarding job I worked, they kind of just met me and they liked my portfolio. They had me kind of pitch through the portfolio. And so I got really lucky in that sense because mm. I was able to, um, to kind of be somebody who did not have any storyboarding experience and they really trusted me to kind of like get that um, done without having to take uh, an unpaid mm. test, which was, which was really great. Um, nice. And then I think I would say right now, um, at least at Disney TV, I've, I've been there long enough that I've at least like a lot of productions kind of already know my name and they've seen my samples at least within the studio. So I haven't really had to do it after a couple productions at this point. So nice. So yeah. Gotcha. That's cool. And what does that, I'm interested, what does that test generally look like for TV or for feature film? Oh my God. Like the most nerve wracking <laughs> test I ever had to take was one of the first ones I did, didn't get the job, um, was for regular show. And I think it's okay to talk about this because it's off, you know, this, they're not giving out this test anymore. Um, but it was like trying to see if you had the same sense of humor as the show creator. Mm. So they oh, were wow. like, you know, here's this character. He's making up a rap about homework, write the lyrics for them. Here's this character. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know. <laughs> here's this character <laughs> who's like trimming a hedge, turn it into a funny shape. Like what has he turned, trimmed it into? And I felt mm. so incompetent when i turned that test in i was like is this funny am i funny do i know what i'm doing and when, I, when they never wrote back i was like i am not funny <laughs> so a lot of the time tests are just seeing you know like you, you can tell from somebody's portfolio normally if their skills are at that level or not people should only give you a story test if they're trying to figure out you know, are you a good fit for this sense of humor for this okay. project? Mm -hmm. So it might mm -hmm. be kind of specific stuff like that or gotcha. like at feature when we're just trying to see, hey, maybe you've never worked in feature before. Your TV boards look really good. Can you try doing, you know, this this type of scene in in like a quote unquote feature mm -hmm. style? Mm. Oh, that's so interesting. I feel like most of the tests I've taken are pretty straightforward. It They'll just give you about a page, maybe two pages of script from the show that you're applying to. And you just, and they'll, they'll give you the reference, any reference you need, the character designs and the location designs. And then you pretty much just have to, you get like a week or two to storyboard um, that page of the script um, just to, I guess, kind of see um, 
what your work would look like if you were on the production. Um, which is, of course, challenging because I do feel like there's a little bit of a learning curve um, in terms of drawing mm-hmm. the characters and even getting to know the characters, especially if it's a brand new original show where you just really have oh, yeah. no other frame of reference for the characters because you haven't seen any animatics. You haven't really spoken to much of the um, uh, the the team about the story. So it's really just like what you're gleaning off of this one page of script and whatever uh context they choose to give you so um so i i do find story tests challenging in that way um but um but yeah i love those crazy creative prompts that you've been given oh, natalie oh wow <laughs> <laughs> i feel I, like I w- the only oh. other time it was it was in that vein for me was i was given an outline for something so i had to come up with something funny uh, for that scenario, but otherwise, it's been a little more straightforward. <laughs> that's really. Do you think fun, that's though. that's a, a distinction between a show that's board driven, where you're going to be expected to like write jokes, write dialogue, and script driven? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's really fair to say, and I feel like that's something that hasn't come up yet. I don't think we've talked about um, in TV that there is a difference between. Uh, script-driven shows or board-driven shows. Mm. Uh, I think they're also Mm -hmm. called outline-driven shows. Um, But I can kind of give like a very simple rundown of that. Um, For script-driven shows, it's what it sounds like. You're handed a script, basically, and you do largely stick to that uh, script and you storyboard off of that. And for board-driven or outline-driven shows, the writers will just give you an outline, pretty much, um, of what the episode is about and what's going to happen in that episode. And then you pretty much come up with the dialogue and the gags and the writers will come in and kind of like help write those things for you. But you are kind of partially writing yourself uh, for that episode. And big caveat in that I have not personally worked on board driven shows, so I might be getting some of the details wrong. um, But that's that's kind of my understanding of it. But yeah, I've only worked on uh, script driven shows so far. So I'm, I very much admire artists who are able to do the board driven stuff because that's a whole other part of the brain to exercise. Yeah, um, yeah. man, it's tough. <laughs> or it sounds tough. <laughs> we already touched a little bit about draftmanship, but one sort of follow up nuance question to that is how important is it to have an ability to match style on a show and versus how important is it to have your own personal style? And are you able to sort of imbue your work with your personal style ever? And um, again, does that vary by project or production? Yeah. Features very forgiving here again, because we are not outsourcing. Um, You, you have a lot of leeway to draw in your own style Uh, Mm -hmm. So when you're watching a screening of the movie in storyboards, you can absolutely see the moment it switches from one board artist to the other because they'll draw Mm -hmm. in a very different Mm -hmm. way. The important thing is not to be so off model that we get confused. So Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. like, you know, for example, if there's if there's a cast of three characters, you try and recognize like, okay, what's the way that you would tag each of them like 
If mm. if five different people okay. are going to draw Charlie Brown, how do you tag him? It's that black stripe across the shirt as the squiggly uh-huh. hair. <laughs> if you have those two things, we know who you're talking about. So mm-hmm. just like trying to see how everybody's tagging the characters and do the same mm-hmm. thing, even if it's in your style. The one exception mm-hmm. is if you if you are new, we don't have revisionists, but you might be more likely to get an assignment uh, for someone else's boards that they're too busy to go back and do notes on. You might get that assignment. Okay. And in that case, mm-hmm. you probably should try and draw like the, the person mm-hmm. that you're fixing okay. their boards on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's that similar to what revisionists do. At least that was what I was told when I started out. I did I did start out as a revisionist at Disney TV at least and mm-hmm. and it it was very it, cuz it's a little jarring to kind of just like suddenly see one character that's drawn drastically <laughs> differently than the rest yeah. of the of the panel I guess so um uh so you do kind of want to like be a little bit of a chameleon as a revisionist but okay um and I think in TV it really it really again depends on what production you're on um how important it is to match the style i do want to say that in my experience it hasn't been a problem i feel like i just draw the way i draw and and i do <laughs> um you know i do have my my personal kind of like shorthand or like symbols for each character just to make sure that they're recognizable i think it's a lot more important um to make sure they're on model in the sense that the sizing works out in the locations that they are and then okay. the sizing mm-hmm. in comparison to mm-hmm. the other characters just to make sure that doesn't kind of cause any problems uh down mm-hmm. the line but otherwise i haven't been told to really like change my style too much to pe- but that just might be the shows gotcha. that i've been on i mean i've heard shows like um like Family Guy are a little bit more strict with that, where they really do mm. want you to be mm-hmm. very, to draw exactly like the way it looks. Um, okay. I mean, that's yeah. just what I've heard. I'm this is I'm not necessarily speaking from experience, but yeah, I've, I've never um, been on a show like that. But I've heard people talk about how it's kind of turned into almost keyframes for animation, right? Yeah, yeah, mm. that's oh, wow. what I heard mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, great. So, kind of rounding out this section for uh, tips tips for breaking into the industry, we wanted to ask uh, how important are referrals or networking in general? Uh, So I tend to say no amount of referrals can get you a job if your portfolio is not there and no lack of referrals can keep you out if your skills are like so stunning. So the most important (laughs) thing is to work on the skills and the portfolio. But if you're like, in the middle of the pack, referrals can help for sure. Mm, we we yeah. are so like story artists are so social. It does matter if you're nice to work with, if you're reliable, uh, if you're collaborative and you take notes well. So if somebody's worked with you before and they can vouch for that, that can go a really long way. And I, I know it's tricky if you're like, I haven't worked yet. I'm I'm looking for my foot in the door and mm-hmm. we're in a pandemic. How am I supposed to meet people? So <laughs> yeah. I, I feel for the students right now, if at all mm. possible, try and get coffee with people or like if you can get a review from Rise Up Animation and meet somebody, mm-hmm. like just yeah. do what, whatever you can to to meet people who can say, oh, yeah, I've met that person. They seemed really nice, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, uh, the portfolio is first and foremost the most important thing. But yeah, I feel like what happens more often is that you're more in the middle and you are qualified, but there are also hundreds of other people <laughs> who are just as qualified as you. And that's really tough. And sometimes all it takes is somebody being like, oh, I really liked working with this person or I got coffee with them once and they seemed super friendly and I feel like we can give them a chance. And yeah, I mean, that's a networking thing. That's somebody who knew mm-hmm. you or or has met you at some point and they just kind of and, you know, end up taking your portfolio out of the sea of portfolios and just like put yeah. it on top, you know, for somebody to take a look at. And then that's, yeah. you know, to have somebody vouch for you, um, for your personality and how well you collaborate with people is, yeah. is pretty powerful. So. And can I just say, like, uh, I used to think when I, when I was like college age, I used to think networking means you have to network up. You know, it's about meeting somebody important and then they'll like open the gate Mm -hmm. for me. And a big discovery in my 20s was networking is really important to do sideways. Like, be nice to your your, your fellow students, people in your classes. These are the people you'll be working with in a couple of years. So, like, make sure that you're making a good impression now. And, like, it's really natural to feel competitive. But honestly, like, those are the people who can pull you into a studio later. So... Yeah. You're networking sideways. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, no, that's a really that's a great, great point, point because I feel like I feel like the few times that I have been able to get a job like through a friend's referral, it, it was always a friend. It was always a, a peer yeah. um who I've either worked with before in school. So we've we've already collaborated together. We've already kind of gotten to know each other in that sense. And it was yeah, I don't think it was ever really um you know, somebody who is in 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 a greater position of power. That's really interesting. That's a great point. It's it's almost just like becoming friends with, be basically make friends with people in college yes. or yes. wherever you are. Yeah. yeah, work well with others. Yeah, yeah. and like I mean, Kate, Katie Lowe might be your PA, and then she's like running animation at Disney a few years later. So be, be nice to everybody you meet. Be nice Absolutely. for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. people like change positions over the years. They might be in a different department or a different studio. And I think I heard you guys say it. It's such a small industry. Don't yeah. burn bridges ever. Oh my gosh, yeah. no. <laughs> Definitely. Or even while you're in school, like those, the, yeah. your peers that you graduate with, um, if you're in school, I mean, you don't know who's going to end up in what position to kind of like maybe over here. Oh, they're looking for a story artist. Wait, I yeah. worked with somebody in school who's a great story artist and I think she would be a great fit. So I don't know. You just never really know. So just be kind to everybody. You mean. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. So now we were on to, uh, let's be honest, the juiciest part of this. We're looking for that hot goss. Not really. I'm building it up too much now. But what are are maybe some of the less desirable or least favorite parts of your jobs? Mm. Man, I really want to continue working so i'm scared to answer <laughs> this <laughs> yeah. whatever you feel comfortable sharing <laughs> i guess like what we we touched on this earlier in story at, at disney feature especially like you do have some 
really nice power over the story. You get to comment on the script and propose ideas and some I mean I've I've had an assignment where it was like go off for a week with these other two board artists and just brainstorm what the end of our movie could be. Like that's so cool. But wow. um at the end of the day it's not your movie and it's not up to you what the director ends up going with. So um just like I think a lot of us imagine that we are directors trapped in a story artist's body and like that's mm-hmm. not actually really helpful for the project mm-hmm. to have 12 people thinking they're the director. You have to mm-hmm. remember what mm-hmm. you're doing, mm-hmm. which is making the best possible version of this director's vision and that like that's going to make the best movie possible, not fighting them and, you know, <laughs> talking behind their back like, oh, they're so dumb. We should do this. Right. You know, like it's not <laughs> it's not helpful. Um, but like at the same time. Oh, my gosh. Just uh, the fact that you have to fall in love with every scene that you're doing because it is so much work. Um, You you have to put your heart into it and then pitch it as if like, oh, I really believe in this. This is my baby. And simultaneously be okay with them saying that is really nice storyboarding. Good job. It doesn't work in this movie and we're going to cut it. And here's your next Mm -hmm. assignment. So like, I guess the... um, that's just like a really ironic part of the job. You really have to care about yeah. what you're doing and be willing to drop it immediately. Mm. Mm. That's great. That's such a good yeah. lesson, I think, too, for anyone involved mm-hmm. in any sort mm-hmm. of creative pursuit. If you're, you know, in in TV or commercials or feature, or video games, anything, I think everybody runs up against that. Um, and it reminds me of uh, we were watching the Great British Bake Off the other day, <laughs> and there was a contestant who was like really upset after a review, and they were like, "Oh, it's just so hard to work on something for three hours and then have it torn apart." <laughs> we we're like, three hours? Try like weeks and weeks or months." Like, yeah. Come on. <laughs> nothing. But That's yeah. So funny. yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Absolutely. I'd love to hear your thoughts now, Isabel. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's really interesting to hear that because I feel like I experience it in a very similar way in TV except that we don't even get the chance to really iterate uh, or we don't get a ton of say in the script and I think one of the most frustrating things at least to me um, uh, in my experience in TV is that the writers and the story artists do seem to be pretty siloed off in in separate Mm -hmm. areas we don't get a I would love the chance to kind of sit down with the writers when they're more in their kind of like outline phase and to kind of have a little bit of a say in that. And uh, there, I was on one production where it was a little bit more collaborative. And I think as a result, that did end up being one of my favorite experiences in TV. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's just me kind of like craving a little bit more of that in um, that kind of like feature like experience, which is maybe why I'm, I'm changing directions in my career a little bit now, but, um, but I think that's kind of for me personally, what's been a little bit frustrating. I do crave a little bit more collaboration, um, more room to kind of, um, talk about story and, and have an input in, in kind of like the, the larger, uh, way things are are written for the show um itself rather than just kind of on an individual episode um level um yeah 
That, that's, so, that's what I think. <laughs> so exciting. You're going to get to do that on your next project. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm really excited about that. I think it's part of the, I mean, it's all very personal, right? But I feel like that's part of the reason I got into story. So, you know, when kind of figuring out what career path you want to take, I think it is important to kind of reflect on what you personally like to do or what you most enjoy out of a out of a job and um, every job is going to kind of give you something different and every job is going to come with its own unique hardships. And it's almost less about, at least the way I like to think about it is that it's almost less about what you love to do the most, but more about what you're willing to suffer through the most (laughs) (laughs) in some ways. So if like, in story, you you like to think about that puzzle and you like to kind of throw things away and like do it again and approach it again in a different, um, from a different perspective. I think that's really cool. Um, so that's how I like to see it. Can I give an optional aside that I might totally mess up? <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. please. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember who said this, and I want to give credit to the right person, but I don't remember. And it's a little bit crass, so you should cut this if it doesn't work. Um, (laughs) I I remember somebody talking about, you know, careers and and what you should pick to do with your life. And they were saying that every job has its own shit sandwich. And like, (laughs) you know, depending on which one you pick, each one will have a different shit sandwich, but you should just find the shit sandwich that you don't really mind eating. So, (laughs) oh my gosh, I love that. Can that be our Instagram uh, quote? Okay. I feel like that's a funnier uh, way of the way I just raised it, (laughs) a more fun way of thinking. Yours is classy, Isabel. You know what? That is so great, though, because especially, I think all of us can relate to when you go into something that's not a quote unquote like normal profession, where you know we're making cartoons for a living. It's it's a ridiculous thing to do for a living. Yeah, Um, you kind of think about it in such, especially when you're just starting out. I think you're encouraged to think about it in such uh, rosy terms where it's like, oh, you're following your passion. It's every day is going to be this beautiful skipping through fields moment. Your dream job. And that could not be further from the truth, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) But I love the, you know, the idea that, you know, your dream job is still a type of shit sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) The kind you're okay with eating. Um, I think that's uh, ultimately, you know, though a little crass, a much more constructive way of, mm. of thinking about things. And mm-hmm. I love that. I've got another one have... for you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes, oh, please. I'm oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> one, one of the cartoonists I used to work with at Helioscope, Jeff Parker, said it's called art work for a reason. There's work in it for a reason. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's so true. At the end of the Gosh, day, yeah. it really is still a job. It yeah. is. Still work. <laughs> All right, so after that last juicy question, we're going to have to bring us up a little bit, okay? So what are your favorite parts about your job, starting with Natalie? Oh, so much. I really love this job. I, you know, I loved comics, but I was frustrated a little bit. You know, you you thumbnail something, and then you pencil it, and then you ink it. 
and you go in and Photoshop and you, you know, like erase this pixel that's a little bit out of the line. And in storyboarding, it's like, oh, I draw a different thing every day. It moves very quickly. And I get to just kind of get the idea out. It's a little more writing focused, which like okay. I enjoy. I enjoy that. It's social. I wasn't sure I'd be able to work in a team the way that we do because I was like a comic book artist <laughs> working at home alone before that was common. Uh, and we all knew what that felt like. Uh, and it was, um, <laughs> I thought maybe I don't have the social skills for this. And actually, I really love collaborating in the room. It's so, so fun. Uh, I, I have really great memories of uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet just feeling like I should be paying for this. Like this is, I'm in a comedy <laughs> show right now, you know, like the writer and directors <laughs> were so funny and we'd all just be yeah. like pitching dumb gags and laughing. It was, it was really mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. That sounds so nice. Yeah. I feel like that's what I love the most about it is the, is the collaboration. I feel like I end up having the, my fondest memories on every project when I, kind of like have those brainstorm sessions with my storyboard partner or anybody else around. And we just kind of joke about what might happen um, in the story. And sometimes we'll just, we'll, we'll say the most ridiculous things and then bring it back down to reality. Um, but that, I don't know, I end up laughing so hard, um, you know, during any of those kind of just brainstorm sessions. Um, and I feel like what I what I particularly love about storyboarding is that, I mean, I guess this applies to the, to the whole process, but um, our job is to make people react emotionally mm. um, to our characters, to the story. And I think because storyboard artists have to kind of put the whole thing together in, in this blueprint form, we do spend so much time thinking about how the whole thing works together and how we can get elicit the best reactions out of the audience. Um, so I, I kind of love that, that that's the most important part of the job um, in, in so many ways. And um, which is funny because pitching is where you get that, but I don't <laughs> like to pitch. So it's a little bit of a conundrum for me, <laughs> but um, it does, it, I feel like it does help me. Um, get over my anxieties for the pitch because I'm like, well, if I did a good job, I get that really rewarding experience of people either laughing at, at the gags I've created or, um, or, you know, you know, being sad in all the right moments, um, and, and, and just emotionally reacting. So I do love that. Nice. I have, I have to imagine too, that seeing your work kind of gone through other departments and then seeing the final result that has to be so rewarding like i mean maybe i'm just imagining that yeah, but <laughs> absolutely and you're like oh wow that's so much better now thank you <laughs> yeah. yeah i For love real. that i feel like in animation collaboration isn't just bouncing ideas off of each other but it, i love that it's about everybody who's like a master in their own discipline kind of comes together and i'm like oh I'm terrible at color, but this person's just going to be incredible at taking, you know, the work that I've done, the work that I've contributed to the project and to, and to do their thing to make that, to support like what I've done. And I think that's the coolest experience ever seeing that come together. Sorry, that sounded totally like I was trying to bait you guys into saying 
animation is really cool, but I actually just meant it, <laughs> it from is. your perspective. It is. Oh my gosh. Like, but guys, yeah, the best is. part is when we... <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, like we... It's so cool to see it lit and stuff, but like, what about when it's animated? <laughs> <laughs> For real, it's it's so cool. Like we're we're just doing broad strokes, right? Like one drawing right. for a whole acting choice, and then when you mm-hmm. see like what an animator does to that, you're like, whoa, that's mm-hmm. a real person with like thoughts in their head, like second to second yeah. now. Like how how yeah. do you do that? <laughs> that's wild. I'm sure you that's have so the opposite. Funny situations which we can cut out of the podcast but i'm sure that the situations where you're like oh this is not what i intended but interesting but we can (laughs) that's that's very juicy no never animators are so cool right (laughs) (laughs) it's normally it's normally better if it's different from what i boarded yeah i I was gonna say oh yeah i was gonna say i feel like i've had that experience where uh where i'm like surprised at at the choices that were made, but it's almost always in a good way where I'm like, oh, that's way better. Oh, yeah, I like that acting choice that yeah. fits the the character even better. Or uh, that made me even more sad in this moment where the intention was to make someone sad. But oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I've had that experience, but it was always positive. So, yeah, I guess that's mm-hmm. test that of is. a good director, like who's mm-hmm. shepherding the whole process yeah, to make those decisions, make those decisions. Yeah. yeah sorry, Ben. No, I, I'm just thinking that's such a, gosh, what a great, um, I don't even know what I'm about to say. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. I'm just thinking, um, what am I trying to say? There, there's a bit of humility in that mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. such a great, I mean, that what more could you ask from like a collaborator where you're yeah. willing to say like, mm-hmm. oh, that's different than I had thought, but I actually like it more. Like I, mm-hmm. it sounds so basic but to you too, probably because you're, you're used to doing it. But I certainly remember being a student where I thought, I'm not proud to admit, but like anything other than what I had originally envisioned was almost a challenge to what I had originally envisioned, you know, and it was yeah. hard to come to terms with that, that it was like, you know, yeah. okay, I can still have value and be okay, even if my final idea isn't the final thing. Mm-hmm. And certainly as an animator working in, working professionally has been a, a big lesson in that, where ultimately you're just looking for the best ideas and they can come from wherever. Um, I'm just kind of rambling now. No, I, I just want to sing your two, <laughs> both of your yeah. praises a little bit that, you know, that's kind of a skill in and of itself. Well, I think everybody can relate to what you just said. I mean, it's so natural as an artist to feel like I did it this way for a reason. I care about this. Like, why would you change it? Um, but I would, I would say if, if you still have that impulse, it's okay, but that's what comics are for, you know, like make a comic where you're, there's no gatekeeper. There's nobody who comes after you. You can do exactly what you want or make a tiny short that you control mm. from start to finish. But the cool thing about working in a team is you can make something so much bigger, like so much more scope and reach so many mm-hmm. more people. So that's kind of the trade off. And you can have both. You can make like a super indie project in your free time if you really want to retain like auteurship of it. And just because your ideas kind of don't end up getting used doesn't mean that that wasn't a very vital part of the process to arrive yeah. at the final product. Because right. Good point. if, if yeah. people see something, they're like, okay, that's an interesting way to do the acting in this scene. But 
you know, I, I'm going to use that as a jumping off point and then animate mm-hmm. it the way I feel like might be a better choice for this character. They wouldn't have come to that conclusion necessarily without the the, the jumping off point of the board. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's very yeah. much part of the process. I've heard in feature, people have said, we're trying to reach the dead ends as quickly as possible. So even if you Mm. board something Mm. that doesn't work, like the director knows, okay, we've been down that path. It doesn't work. So I guess we should Mm. go this Mm -hmm. way. It is helpful. I'm repeating what you said, Isabel. You're right. (laughs) Yeah, no, but I I like looking at, I I like seeing it as like dead ends. I think that's, I don't know, that it's a great metaphor to use. Yeah. That's great. Gosh, great stuff. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to our next section, which is listener questions. A little while back, we put out a call on social media for questions. And as always, you all delivered. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Thank you to everyone who took the time to submit questions. Uh, We unfortunately don't have time to answer every single question we had, but we hope that most of the questions that came up will have been answered throughout this episode. Um, so moving into this, we'll have each of you, um, Isabel and Natalie, um, alternate questions and answers in the interest of time. Uh, but feel free to chime in whenever, if anything pops up organically that you'd like to discuss. Awesome. So the first question we will direct to Isabel, which is from at Moonium. I believe is, <laughs> is the Instagram handle. Perfect. Um, and the question is, how do you balance creativity for work and creativity for yourself do you have any tips on not getting burnt out and also related to this question is another listener question from at koala dev 0301 is there a work-life balance in story that's a really great question and i feel like (laughs) work-life balance and personal creativity outside of work is something that i kind of I don't want to say struggle with, but actively mm-hmm. work on kind of every day uh, as I move through my career. Um, but I have almost always found that I need to have something creative going on outside of work that isn't related to the, that doesn't belong to the company I work for. That That's something that's just mm-hmm. all for me. Um, and it, I, I find that it just, kind of keeps me excited and gay and engaged and learning all the time, especially in a field where it's important to kind of keep learning and keep that, that inspiration up and that motivation up. So, um, but there's also balancing that with, um, the very real possibility of getting burnt out if you kind of overload yourself with too many, um, Mm -hmm. projects. So, I try to keep it really low pressure in order to avoid burnout. Um, I kind of really try to listen to um, to when I'm feeling excited about something and then like jumping mm-hmm. on that and spending time with my personal projects if I uh, feel that, that, that spark or excitement. Um, but if I'm genuinely fe- feeling tired, I really do try to not um, force myself to do anything or um, push myself uh, too much mm-hmm. to create just for the sake of creating. I um, so so it's it's a little bit of a balance, and I think it's a little bit of, um, about paying attention to how you're feeling and and being honest with yourself about how you're feeling. Because I feel like, especially with um, the presence of social media in our art, art world. Um, there's this kind of unspoken peer pressure to keep 
creating and to to show that you're always creating. Um, And uh, I don't know. I think that's something that's important to have um, discussions about and, and to be honest with yourself about. Like, don't push yourself to do something just for the sake of doing it um do it because you really want to or you want to learn a new Mm -hmm. skill or you want to practice something um and then in terms of the question of work life balance i feel like there can be a work life balance but it's it's really oh it's difficult it's really up to you (laughs) i think i think it's really up to where you set your own boundaries and i I do think it also depends on not necessarily the studio, but more specifically the production that you're on. Some productions are just a lot tougher and they demand a lot more out of you depending on who's leading the project. And I've worked on some that just left me entirely exhausted at the end of the day, at the end of the week, and I just had zero motivation to create anything. And I kind of just let that happen but then i try to make sure that if this is unsustainable for myself i do try to make moves to maybe go in a different direction if i can if i have the ability to if i have the you know privilege to choose that's that's um that's a reality as well and um i feel like i could talk about this forever but i don't want to i don't <laughs> yeah, want to go sure. on rambling too much but i think yeah in terms of work life balance it's really you know what what you um about what boundaries you set for yourself mm-hmm. um that's very well said i think you know especially uh just that sometimes you have to take an active role in that you know it's not necessarily mm-hmm. just uh, don't take it for granted that it will be balanced for you. Sometimes it's a very active thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. um, Yeah, I'm I'm so glad you said that. Mm -hmm. So the next question is for Natalie, and this is from at SnooThomasZero. Question (laughs) is, could you become a director from being a story artist? Yes, that (laughs) is how a lot of directors at Disney, um, that was their path. I think it's important to say that not every story artist becomes a director and a lot of people want to be directors. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes it can be a bit of a turnoff when someone is brand new in a studio and they're already walking around like that's owed to them. Like I have, Mm. I have seen that and that's (laughs) that's not necessarily great, but um, yeah, Mm. it is definitely possible. And um I I would say story is in a privileged position where we have exposure to directors. We spend so much time with them. We're on a first name basis. Other departments would kill for that kind of a connection. And that makes it easier to network with them and ask them questions, take them to coffee and Mm -hmm. just kind of learn like, what Mm -hmm. is the job and do I want to do that? There's a kind of a part two to this question, which I'd be curious to ask you both. Um, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of like a student listener who's never pitched in a story room or something like that. And Mm -hmm. maybe they are new to kind of navigating like the hierarchies of the story team and working with the director. And I guess the short version of my question is, what is story room etiquette? And what advice would you give to someone who's brand new and entering the story room for the first time and like, 
do you raise your hand when you talk and and, and things as basic as that. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll take that one. <laughs> so, um <laughs> on the feature side, it's a great question, Katie, and you've been in the story room before, so you know what this is like. Um <laughs> Yeah, I never want to tell somebody to be quiet or like not speak, not say something. If you see something Mm -hmm. like you should, and if you feel confident enough to do that, that's great. But there is something to being new in the room and just observing for a while because your first job is learning the culture of this unique story room that could be very different from any story room you've been in before. Your first Mm -hmm. job is learning who is this director? What are their tastes? Um, is there anything that's off limits in this room? Like, are there boundaries or, you know, mm-hmm. is this like mm-hmm. super, uh, like balls to the wall? Nobody repeats what is said in this room. So <laughs> it, it's good. It's good to sit back a little bit at first and just listen, um, and mm-hmm. dip your toe in the water as you start speaking. But eventually they're going to need your, they're going to need your brain and, and your voice mm-hmm. and your opinions. So it's good to get comfortable and start diving in, even though it's scary and not all of your ideas will be taken. That's normal and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, try not to interrupt people. It can be hard. If, if there's 15 people in the room around the table and they're all pretty vocal, like it could get that way in the Ralph room, you kind of have to like step on the end of somebody's sentence to get in there. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, like also also crediting people. Like if you're if you're boosting something that someone else said, be like, yeah, you know, I loved what Nancy said, and then you repeat it. So like you're making yeah. sure to just like amplify where the idea came from. Um, That's a great point. So I I guess does that answer your question, etiquette? Yeah, okay. I think that was all super valuable information. <laughs> Thank cool. you so much. Sure. It's almost like the soft skills kind of of yeah. being in that room and what that means to people. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. I also always love the concept of the the compliment sandwich, which I feel mm. like is always used a lot. So if you have mm. if you want to vocalize a, a critique, it's kind of great to talk about what works, then say your piece and then end it <laughs> with like something positive again. I feel like that helps um I feel like it's not, you know, just just uh, it's not pointless to bring up what works also. Um, That's good. Um, but it, yeah. it does the job of making, you know, everyone feel good about something. But then you have your your piece and it makes it puts people kind of in a mood, I feel like, to be a little bit more collaborative. Nice. So I like the compliment nice. sandwich. <laughs> and, and we That's always awesome. clap after somebody pitches, like no matter mm-hmm. how it was taken, even if it's scrapped, like you always go up afterwards and be like, hey, great pitch, great job. I love mm-hmm. how you did, mm-hmm. you know, X, Y, Z. Um, and don't be on your phone while someone's pitching. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no. It's brutal. <laughs> That's good. Good to know for sure. All right, so our next question is from at F-S-E-P-W. Um, Natalie, how would you, do you have any advice regarding how to board a personal project uh, from ground zero? Basically, if it has no script or anything, it's just an idea in your head. Do you have any practical advice for that? Yeah, so I guess um, if you already have an idea, then just start, I, I would say just start sketching in a sketchbook. Don't feel like you have to storyboard it yet. 
Um, whatever method works for you for idea generation, use it. Like for me, it's sketching in my sketchbook moments, character designs, and those kind of gradually build on each other and turn into, you know, story moments, a story, a bit of a story. Mm-hmm. You could also be typing it up in a Word document. Sometimes I do that. Whatever works for you is okay. I have a feeling at FSEPW, and it, I apologize if I'm misinterpreting this, but I feel like maybe the question is where do you get your ideas from, which is different. Like if you're staring at a blank mm-hmm. page and you need an original idea for a story sample for your portfolio – um oh interesting yeah Mm. and in that case like it can come from anywhere uh those cafe sketches that we were talking about earlier if you see something in real life that's really oh an interesting character moment like oh the interaction between these two people challenge yourself to imagine where were they before they came in here and i saw them where are they going after i'm seeing them you know just try and expand it a little bit and mm-hmm. challenge your brain to start making stories out of what you're seeing when i'm driving in la and mm. somebody cuts me off for example i'm like <laughs> oh well maybe they're a jerk or maybe they're on their way to the hospital cuz like their wife's about to give birth you know like try and <laughs> oh all, like what else what else could be going on here um you can take a a, per, a story from your family, like the story of how your grandma immigrated to the U.S. or how your parents met, anything that's like an interesting story that you know and exaggerate it. Um, mm. And you can Google online writing prompts because um, writers get stuck oh. on this too and they need to practice. Google writing prompts. There's a million starts of stories or just like concepts that you can springboard off of and make them your own. That's great oh advice. Those are wonderful suggestions. Oh, wow. That's yeah. awesome. What I heard from that was that see life through a storyboard artist's <laughs> eyes, right? When somebody's mean to you, it's just part of a bigger story. <laughs> it takes the sting out of it. Yeah, when somebody's a jerk, That's you're true. like, well, maybe something's going <laughs> on at great. home. I don't know. Okay, so this next question is from at mixpix underscore art, and this is for Isabel. Any advice for high schoolers who want to be story artists in the future? That's a great question. I feel like I have so much to say about that (laughs) um, because that's such an early stage, and it's a stage where I feel like in high school I I didn't know I wanted to pursue art professionally, so Mm -hmm. I kind of have to think about it and then the framework of like what would – I have done. And part of it is like, you know, I would have tried to draw a lot more every day, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, I would have tried to start getting really comfortable um, with drawing from life and sitting down in a cafe and drawing really quickly and trying to capture uh, an idea or a storytelling moment or a character moment, um, uh, kind of practice that skill set. and and yeah and just get consistent with your drawing routine because it's about that kind of like 10,000 hours concept where or or what is it 10,000 bad drawings where hmm. you know the, the the concept is that every artist has 10,000 bad drawings in them <laughs> and the earlier you get started and get all those bad drawings out there um uh the better you'll get and the yeah. point is obviously that you're just supposed to draw a lot um and but that being said I feel like in high school 
it's still so early that you can just still just make sure to still have fun with with your art. Um, really lean into the stuff that you you like to draw, because I feel like when I was uh, growing up taking these kind of more traditional art classes, part of what ended up, um, I guess, discouraging me from going down a professional art route um, was because most teachers didn't like the fact that I really like to draw dragons or fantasy creatures <laughs> in my art classes every day. And I feel like um, that kind of really didn't do me any favors um, as an artist <laughs> because uh, it kind of like uh, it kind of made me feel like that that wasn't what a professional artist should be doing. Mm. But that being said, those teachers like they they weren't involved in the animation industry. I feel like they had a very narrow minded view of what a professional artist looks like. So to me, uh, to me in in my head, they drilled into my head that a professional artist is just somebody who kind of sits in the studio all day and draws what we see in these like really fancy art galleries. <laughs> and that was just not something I wanted to do. So I ended up kind of like really ignoring that and not realizing that that was an option for me. Um, so I feel like it's just so important at at that age in high school to just kind of have fun with your work, explore what you like to draw. Don't worry about what studios might like to see at this point. Discover your own voice and play with it as much as you want, really. Um, and yeah, I mean, just get comfortable with drawing all of those things. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I think in high school, that's just a really fun time to play and to nurture that side of your art that's so real isabel (laughs) i'm glad i'm not the only one i think about that a lot in high school just being made fun of for drawing dragons yeah real i had a history teacher call me out in front of the whole class because you know i doodle in the margins and he was like right you know, I was drawing bad anime heads with giant eyes, and he, in front of the whole <laughs> class, was like, why do you keep drawing aliens in my class? Like, what are these? Oh, my oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. uh, There's man. no quicker way to squelch, you know, the creative mind than to just shame them for what they like to draw. <laughs> well, you guys uh, sure showed them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you should email them individually. So I'd be so interested to see how common this is, because I remember in fifth grade too, my teacher holding up my math sheet that had doodles in the side. And it's like, this oh is not gosh. the place for this kind of thing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Wowza. Wowza. Wow. Fifth grade. That's well, so young that. to shame a kid for drawing? What? Thank you, Natalie. <laughs> yeah. I agree. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. So, our next question is for Isabel. This is from at Don Vipatel. 1806. What are some of your best art of books? What are your favorite recommendations? Um, okay, so I have oh my gosh, I have too many art of books, so it's it's a tough question to answer. Um, I feel like a lot of it is also just personal taste. There's so many really good ones out there, and it's really up to you and, and what inspires you the most. Um, the ones that I've loved the most are uh I really like the the tangled art of book. Um, maybe because I worked on Tangled the series for a little bit. So mm. I had a lot of fun kind of like browsing through um, Glenn Keane's beautiful drawings for that. Um, 
I also really love the Kung Fu Panda and How to Train Your Dragon art of books because I love uh, Nico Marley's uh, mm. character design work. I think it's just stunning. It's great. Um, uh, Lilo and Stitch is a personal favorite of mine in terms of Disney movies, and I really, really love Chris Sanders' uh, work as well as uh, Dean Dubois. Is it Dubois or is it? I think it- it's Dubois. I don't know. Dubois. <laughs> if if it's Dubois, <laughs> if it's um, if he pronounces it in a French way, I guess. Um, but yeah, his work. Uh, but yeah, so I really love the the Lilo and Stitch art of book. Um, and then more recently, uh, I've been looking through the uh, storyboards for the movie Parasite, which has been a lot oh. of fun. I really like that one. So those are some of my recommendations. That's awesome. So this next question is from at the miserable Romer, which I hope you're not actually miserable, but I do love that name. I don't know why. Um, for Natalie, uh, what things held you back from improvement when you were a beginner in intermediate level? Well, the miserable Romer. Um, <laughs> it was being afraid to say out loud that I was pursuing a job in story. I was afraid Mm. to tell anybody that that was my goal because I thought I would look ridiculous. I was mid to late 20s, no experience in animation, no animation degree. uh, And I saw, you know, 21-year-olds landing those jobs that I wanted. And I thought, Mm. I'm going to pursue this, but secretly because I don't want to look foolish. And when I Mm. finally, finally said out loud to somebody, you know, I mean, this is kind of a secret, don't tell anybody, but I want to work in animation. And I don't know if that's a crazy pipe dream. He immediately was like, oh, I know someone that you should get coffee with. And it really started the wheels rolling. So it's scary because, I mean, nobody wants Mm -hmm. to fail publicly. And especially if you're, you know, uh, and uh, 20s isn't that old, but it felt it felt old. It felt like I'd missed the boat and yeah. I didn't want to look ridiculous. But that's really when things started picking up quickly for me. And I got in contact with relevant people and started my network and got connected with the resources I needed. It was telling people what I was going for and being vulnerable. So I hope that can help. Yeah. That's great. Man, that's that was great. a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So we are moving on to our last listener question for this section, which is from at Gamara Art Design. And they asked, process, scribble on script, question mark, post-its, then refs, question mark. In other words, what is your process? And yeah, anything unique there to discuss? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I So I actually always thumbnail on the script and um because i kind of have a limited time in tv i use the thumbnails on the script as an opportunity for that's just basically my first pass of boards because mm-hmm. then i edit myself as i go into um a uh, storyboard pro and i start roughing it out um and i'm not sure if other storyboard artists in in TV do this, but I try to avoid the computer entirely for the first two days um, after a handout because I do really like to sit with the script. I do really like to try to 
get at a sense of my sequences kind of as a whole. And the best way I can do it is to really just look at the script because it forces me to draw very tiny because there's not a lot of room on the margins mm-hmm. of the script. And I really keep it to very simple, like here, here's a little blob and here's the little <laughs> arrow of where they're going to go. And it just kind of forces me to think really, really broadly because once you get into the computer and you start roughing it out, um, I think as has been mentioned for before, there is a real tendency to start animating things and making things look mm, really pretty yeah. because it feels a little bit more final. And, um, and so the, the, the earlier in the process where I can kind of like feel like there's, you know, there are more steps until the final thing and like trick my brain into keeping it kind of rough and simple, um, the better it works for me, actually. Mm. Um, and then so by like day two or three, I'll, I'll start um, storyboarding on the computer. Um, so yeah, I try to keep it as rough as possible in the beginning, but but I do have to move pretty fast, so <laughs> sometimes the roughs is, is all I can get to anyway. So yeah, yeah. awesome. Actually, Great. let's pose that to Natalie too. I'm curious to see if the, yeah, yeah any individual I'm differences. Curious. Similar, I I think you you uh, brought up a really important point, which is that the thinking up front is so mm-hmm. important. You can't just <laughs> yeah. dive in, no matter how how crunched your schedule is. That time is such a good investment to think through it, read the script a few a few times, and um, maybe do like an overhead map of where things are and how you're going to stage Ooh, it. Yeah, because like, like you, oh, cool. if you just start boarding, like oh, you panic and you just start with panel mm-hmm. one and you start going. You can board yourself into a corner and like waste mm-hmm. your time with something that doesn't end up working. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I really like that mm. advice, Isabel. Oh, I've got a tip from Dave Pimentel, um, who I think he was head of story on Moana. I'm, I'm ashamed I don't remember that off the top of my head, but amazing story artist and director. Um, he gave a talk to our story department and he was like, the way that he starts a scene is he reads the scripts all day for a day. He thinks about it overnight. And then uh, he starts scribbling on the script um, anything that he can see. Like, you know, when you read through it, some things are more visual to you, like they're clear immediately. Mm-hmm. So that's a good starting yeah. point. If you can already see it, it normally means it's strong in the script and the parts of the script yeah. that are not strong <laughs> are going to be harder. Um, <laughs> and he tries to distill the whole scene into one image. So he was issued the scene in Moana where she meets Maui on the island. She's shipwrecked and um, she mm-hmm. there's a moment where she tells him here's who I am. Here's what you're going to do. And she like points an oar at him in his face, this giant Mm. guy. And that was the Mm. first thing that he drew. He's like, that's the image that summarizes this whole scene. It's that moment. Mm. So if you can find um, a moment like that, we call that a tent pole. You can hang everything else off of that. You know that you have to board up to that moment and then out of that moment. So that's like your guiding light for that, for that scene. Um, I love that. I like that, right? As a place to start, it makes it a little less scary. Yeah, I I, I feel like I do a little bit of a a version of that if I'm feeling like I don't know where to start. I I try to find the emotional high point 
at least. The, like, nice. the point that I want to really get to in in the scene or sequence. Um, yeah, so, so I like yeah. that that really resonates. Emotional high point, yeah. I like that. I'm not sure mm-hmm. I've been thinking about it like that, but that sounds mm-hmm. like a really smart way to think about it. It's just a way, like, if you're a little, like, lost and overwhelmed. It can be so overwhelming, like, getting something. There's just so much information, and um, it's just hard to find a place to start. But there's usually at least one moment where you're like, I think, like, this part is kind of the most important part to kind of get to, and everything else should kind of serve that or service that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Every scene should have a turn, right? Like there should right. be a, a big <laughs> shift in the character or the the mood or the plot, and there isn't right. always. <laughs> yes, that's true. You know? and those are usually the trickier things yes. to avoid. <laughs> yeah, when a scene is like really solid in the script, it makes your job easier. Yeah, but we have that's to so board it either Man, way. Man, I feel like I'm learning right. so much. Yeah. <laughs> And that I should apply that exact concept to every shot I do too. Mm-hmm. Like I, sh- like I, I usually do go through a period of visualizing and mm-hmm. um, shooting reference. Some people thumbnail. I'm I'm not like so much into thumbnailing, but I feel like that's a really cool way to think about an animation too. Is like what is the big pose that I want to mm-hmm. hit or mm-hmm. something like that. Nice. So one pose that speaks for the rest of the shot or emotion or yeah emotional high point Mm. that's really cool all right so this is the part of the podcast where we're going to ask both isabel and natalie to give us a little animation tip although in this case this special episode we're going to ask specifically for a storyboarding tip so this can be Anything from a really practical, quick kind of thing that you recommend doing, or it can be more philosophical. So I think we're going to kick it off with Isabel first with her tip. Yeah, so um, I guess I I just have a a small little tip, but uh, something that I've learned and I really recommend doing is before getting into a new sequence uh, with any new characters that you might not have drawn before, I would really recommend spending a good amount of time trying to figure out your shorthands for those characters. So a shorthand is, I would say, a quick and simplified way of drawing uh, any character in a storyboard, something that doesn't necessarily include every single detail from the design. But, um, But once you kind of get really comfortable drawing your characters and getting that out of the way early on, it won't impede in your storyboarding process kind of down the line as you're trying to figure out maybe a a difficult design. Um, So the quicker, uh, the more time you spend before getting into the storyboarding process um, with getting to know those characters and practicing um, how to draw them really quickly and finding a shorthand for those characters, mm-hmm. I think the more it'll kind of reward you down the line where it doesn't impede your thinking. That's, That's my awesome. test. That's great. That's great. Love that. It's awesome. I guess mine would be uh, whenever you get stuck or you're like uh, kind of feeling a little bit burnt out or whatever, just utilize your friends. Um, get up. If you're in the studio, get up, walk over to your friend's cubicle and say, hey, can I show you what I'm working on? Or if you're stuck at home or you're trying to break in or you're a student or whatever, 
Um, try and show what you're doing to somebody that you like, a friend or family member or somebody you trust, because it really tends to shake loose any ideas that were stuck just to get out of your own head for a minute and talk to somebody else. That's that. great. Yeah. That. So before we get to the ending, we first wanted to give both Isabel and Natalie a chance to to say uh, if there's anything you'd like to plug or how could our listeners find you or follow you? Not in a weird way, but in a very... Don't follow me. <laughs> very normal. Don't find yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I don't really have anything other than an Instagram, and my handle on Instagram is Isa Sketchbook, um, I-S-A Sketchbook, basically. And uh, other than that, I actually have a little Etsy shop where I do little illustrated bookmarks and nice. I'm very proud of it. I love it. I have a lot of fun <laughs> drawing dragons. I get to live my dreams drawing oh, dragons yeah. all nice. day and selling little bookmarks. So um, uh, all of that can be found uh, on uh, it's connected to my Instagram. So nice. cool. Uh, I'm also most active on Instagram. I'm at Tally Chick, T-A-L-L-Y-C-H-Y-C-K. And I made a, a book a couple of years ago called I Moved to Los Angeles to Work in Animation. It's an illustrated guide to, guess what, how I moved to Los Angeles to work in animation. And it's <laughs> part, you know, autobio, self-indulgent, my story, part how to do that if you're interested in doing that too. And that's from Boom Comics. Um and yeah, watch Short Circuit on Disney Plus. My short exchange student is episode two. Thanks so much for having us, you guys. Yeah, oh thank you. Of course, thank you for coming so on. <laughs> this is such a great episode. I, I'm so sure that it was going to greatly benefit all of our listeners. Like, I think a huge portion of our listeners are in stories. So, yeah, yeah. for sure. This will be Definitely. a great one. So thank you both so much. As we round out the episode, we'll remind our listeners to also follow us on social media, which again, we are actually also most active on Instagram. So our handle is at, uh, oh my God, what is it? Is it at Animation Happy Hour or is it <laughs> at Anim Happy Hour? I think it's Animation Happy Hour. Oh my gosh, I've had too <laughs> many darkened stories. absolutely need to keep this in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm blanking. I, I've been trying right. to oh, follow in. the work-life balance <laughs> yeah, right. edict and haven't been on it so much lately. <laughs> Animation happy <laughs> hour. Okay, Animation thank happy you, hour. Garrett. Um, <laughs> and you can also, please, if, if you feel so inclined, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We've been getting some really lovely reviews lately. Thank you so much yeah. to those of you who took the time. It really means a lot to us um, to to get your feedback and know that you're enjoying and listening to the podcast. Um, and lastly, we'll give another shameless plug for our uh, virtual tip jar where you can uh, <laughs> donate to us and, and become our patrons. So we're very, very thankful for that. Um, and that reminds me that we actually received our very first tip that was not from my dad. Uh, so thank you so, so much. <laughs> Jabron McDoom, I believe was the name. If that, if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but thank you so much, Jabron. We really, really appreciate you. And 
Thank you. All right, I think that about wraps up the episode. This has been Garrett, Katie, Ben, Isabel, and Natalie. Thanks for listening and happy happy storyboarding! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah!